Hello and welcome to episode 171 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast. I'm Mike Salosi, and today we have a very special episode for you, uh, quite unlike the previous 170 episodes. But before we talk about exactly what's going on, let me introduce the rest of the panel, first of whom is Peter Treisenberg. Hi everybody, I'm Peter Treisenberg at I Have Fury um, on the boards we don't use anymore. Alright, also joining Peter and I is Nathan Lee. Hey everyone, I'm at SmashGaming27 on Twitter. Okay, and thirdly is Alana Hags. I'm confused, because we're all doing this backwards now, so yeah. I guess I'm just going to say I'm diving Falcons on Discord. Hi, everyone. All right, so we have one <laughs> we have one Twitter, one forums, one Discord, the front of the episode instead of the back. We're all backwards here. Um, I guess I should tell you that my old live journal is L-A-S-C. Um, it, <laughs> uh, now, technically we have RPG Fan right at the title of this uh, podcast, uh, right, you know, it's the name of the website that uh, supports us, but... And the four of us are RPG fans, but today I wanted to talk about anything besides RPGs. We uh, we spend so much time on the pod on the podcast and on the website writing and talking about uh, role playing games and I mean the, and visual novels and Zelda for some reason. But because this is a podcast that is by definition off topic, we're gonna just completely flip the table a little bit and have an episode all about not RPGs. Um, you might remember a few months ago we did a uh, RPG Worlds podcast where we discussed some of our favorite RPG worlds and uh, sort of each panelist had a little wor- uh, took turns describing some of their favorites. We're doing the same thing for this episode, but it's, but it's going to be about either video games or video game genres that are not RPGs, just so listeners can hear us talk about something besides RPGs and maybe get some insight to the tastes and preferences of the four of us. So, all right, uh, Alana, let's go with you. I think we'll, let's do it alphabetical by first name. Uh, just what's one genre that that you love that you'd like to discuss for this episode? One, well, both of my picks for this are games or genres that kind of got me into video games. Um, but I'll start with maybe a weird one, one that might rub some people up the wrong way because it's not a video game genre. And I'll go with life simulators or like a couple of games in that series, like that genre. So I grew up playing The Sims with my brother and doing really cruel things to famous people, basically. So <laughs> you could download illegal like skins and things for famous people. So we would just set them on fire and things like that. But mainly my thing with The Sims was that I love to build houses and things like that. So I would go online and look for really cool blueprints and things and use all the cheat codes and everything and build really cool houses and decorate it with whatever the hell I wanted. Put pools inside, outside, whatever, you name it, done it. But the main thing I want to talk about for Life Simulators, which is maybe, I think this is a big one, a popular one with a few people. Um, Back in 2004, five i think 2004 maybe i had a gamecube and i was reading a nintendo magazine and i saw a game called animal crossing and i thought 
oh my god this looks really cool and i saw it had a us release date and i was like i really want this and everywhere i looked confirmed that it wasn't coming out in europe and so i was really desperate to play hmm. animal crossing and, and so the, the was... gamecube game was a a enhanced remake of an n64 game correct which never right. left japan um and so i uh, imported it from america and thus started the long and uh life-consuming journey of animal crossing um but I think I'll talk about New Leaf most because it's the one I've put the most time into and uh, the most recent one. And I'm so excited for the Switch one. So that's the closest we'll probably get to it. Uh, do, but... do, we have a, do we have a date on that Switch one? Because I know a lot of people are clamoring for Switch Animal Crossing. Uh, not yet, no. Okay. Um, we, we just no. know that it's in development. Yeah, 2019. Yeah, it's next year. It's this year, definitely. I'm going to do that a few times. Sorry. We are recording in 2018. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, well, before I jump into that, I guess Animal Crossing, the really cool thing about the GameCube version was that to have you could have different towns, but you had to have a memory card for every town. So I bought three different memory cards just so I could have three <laughs> different towns with four oh, wow. different people. Yeah, I had friends who'd come over and like manage their house when they wanted to come over and stuff like that. So <laughs> got really involved and, and I got um, an action replay disc so you could get all of the seasonal furniture outside of seasons and things like that. Um, but uh. Well, yeah, I've played every game since. Uh, not the um, not the spin-offs, Happy Home Designer or the board game one, because they were not particularly great. But uh, New Leaf, um, New Leaf completely ruined my life for about two years. So I've got oh my, that that sounds serious. <laughs> for maybe like nearly five hundred hours in New Leaf, um, but it's adorable. Um, so the premise is the same as every Animal Crossing game. So you are like a, you get to create your own avatar and character and you sit either on a bus or a train or any like taxi it's been, uh, and you meet a cat called Rover and Rover asks you lots of questions about what you're doing, what your name is kind of a professor Oak style interview, I guess. Um, and then he's like, well, where are you going to live? And you name this town and then that's where you're going. And then you're directed there. And in new leaf in particular, you, move to this town and you are given a campsite by um the world famous money thief tom nook by the internet standard um and he's like oh you can have a campsite here you go um and like compared to all the other games that's kind of surprising because you get like a basic house you get like one room with a really tiny floor space that you can decorate but this one you just get a campsite with a hammock i think and a stove and then it's like right well you have to work for me for a bit meet all the villagers and then do what you want um so you meet all the villagers you do get some money get some bells together and then you start saving up for your mortgage and to try and expand your house and things like that so animal crossing is just a vicious cycle of money making um it's easier to make money in animal crossing than it is in the real world and it's great and i think that's probably why i play it so much but well it, yeah it's much more difficult to you know have a steady income and a home in the real world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that that's that's um, no longer a realistic dream for many people our age. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but the really cool thing is, uh, every there's so I don't know how many different animal citizens there are, but there are hundreds of them, and they're randomly generated. So you'll get a different set per town or per load or per save farm that you have. Uh, they'll move in and out of towns as well, or they'll come and visit your uh, city by camping and things like that. Off the top of my head, I have a few favorites. Um, there's Tangy, the cat. She is orange and she looks like an orange and it's great. And she's super hyperactive <laughs> and adorable. She's got like a little leaf on her forehead. It's great. Um, she's really excitable. I think her house is fruit themed. So you've got like 
fruit themed furniture and she's got like a citrus carpet with a lime chair and a lemon table and a watermelon table and I'm just like I love you I want this all in my house um <laughs> there's oh there's a little dog there's a there's many there's many good dogs in Animal Crossing um there oh, what's her name the golden retriever one the one who's blonde I can't remember her name and I feel really bad but Isabel? I think she's not Isabel, no. no. Isabel deserves a mention in a bit, though. Thank you. Um, okay. There are. I don't, multiple... know, I don't know Animal Crossing, so I'm like, I'm like <laughs> throwing out familiar names that I recognize. No, well, all right, we'll go to Isabel then, because Isabel is an important character in New Leaf. Because not only do you have to get a mortgage through Tom Nook, but you become the mayor of your new city or new town, and Isabel is your assistant, and that means you get to raise funds to. Um, improve the village you can add bridges over the river you can improve the shops and things like that and you just do general day-to-day tasks and things um but isabel is your adorable assistant who will do anything for you and supposedly not hurt anybody for you but no given that smash bros exists and she's now there well you know that's just a different story um but yeah isabel's precious and i will not touch her her and incineroar deserve everything together i will fight for both of them um that is an interesting pairing if i've ever heard one that's his own page of fan fiction i guess yeah um but but... before you continue alana one thing that i loved is that right when you started talking and you uh, brought up the sims the very first thing you went into were uh, you know the celebrities that you can murder in <laughs> in in different Sims situations. I think The Sims really brings out the sociopath in all of us it because really every does. every single person I know will ha- set up some scenario of celebrities or people they dislike from their life or something, and just put them in some kind of hell house and just mm-hmm. and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, my mm-hmm. my friends are quite serious with The Sims in that she has The Sims Four and is on. 3,000 hours almost. She may well be 3,000 wow. hours in by the time we record. She's on like 2,800 and something, and I'm just like, you're yeah. crazy. And, I think yeah. people play The Sims either like an architect or like a serial killer, and sometimes both. <laughs> sometimes both. Did, um, Alana, did you play um, Roller Coaster Tycoon? A little off topic, but... I did a little bit, yeah. I played Theme Park World as well, so mm. I'm... I played I a fair like amount that. of Roller Coaster Tycoon. Yeah, because yeah. those, um, th- those games also bring out the inner uh, serial killer in you because uh, <laughs> um, you can design rides that have... In, in Roller Coaster Tycoon 2, at least, um, you could design rides with potentially lethal G-forces mm-hmm. and, yep, it was bad. One time I tried to... <laughs> one time I designed a ride that it had a, a, ra- a row of carts going in, and then I would have them launch off the ride in a sling- slingshot and see if I could hit other carts in a different ride across the road. Like, just, just, oh, wow. just sending carts of people into other carts of people. The simulation games really, you know, your mind goes strange places. But, I, I mean, <laughs> Animal Crossing is is very, like, it's maybe the most quotidian game series ever, because it's, it, it, it's everyday actions <laughs> played through in The Sim. But uh, it has so much charm, and... Uh, a pretty good, satisfying payoff when you accomplish tasks in it. That it, there's a huge following for it. Like I, I like when Animal Crossing was hinted at for the Switch, my Twitter feed exploded. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, it's just escapist. Like it's so adorable and it's so harmless. And there's different things to do. Like there are like scheduled events. So like on the GameCube version, I don't think it's been in any other version. If you played the game at 6am because the game follows your in in console clock um if you got up at 6am you could go and do yoga like there's things like that and then there's like christmas and new year and things like that but um 
there's the dog as well. There's another famous dog called KK Slider. Uh, if you go to the bar, the coffee bar or club every night, uh, every Saturday night, he's there and he plays a different tune and he gives you the tune. And KK Slider is maybe one of the best dogs of all time in any media. So I think KK Slider is great. And he he's a DJ in um, New Leaf, which always amused me. He's like a kind of guitarist, lone wanderer guitarist in the other games. And then he just... So his sound has evolved is what you're saying. It has evolved, yeah. He has developed with the times, and I will can't wait to hear what he's done in Animal Crossing Switch and where he's evolved. Maybe my favorite thing to do in Animal Crossing is collect things. So you have. I realize I'm waffling because I'm just excited about talking about Animal Crossing. Um, <laughs> I I love collecting things, and that's the theme with all of my games today. Um, various tasks such as catch bugs, catch fish dig up fossils, um, collect furniture, and then rebuy it again and decorate your house. But it's like the cat, it's the completion of the museum that's my favorite thing. So normally the main thing to do is to catch one fish and then go and donate it to the museum. Um, and then you just catch it again and carry on catching it until you make loads of money. But I just love seeing the museum build up loads and loads and seeing all of these different animals come together and you get more visitors from other towns that you've connected with come and visit your town and your museum and they'll comment on it and things like that and it's just really sweet and super fulfilling and animal crossing does a lot for me um i haven't played it for a long time though and i think that's just because too many video games too little time i think i gave it up maybe before or around the time i joined rpg fan so i blame rpg fan and will probably not be with the site by the time animal crossing switch comes out so i'll sign off and <laughs> yeah Maybe not. Retire from uh, curating RPG reviews to just dive back into Animal Crossing and ruin your life for an additional two years. Yeah, to become a farmer on Stardew Valley at the same time. So, multitask. You know, it's a little weird. On RPG Fan, we do follow, uh, or we do cover, I should say, the Story of Seasons Harvest Moon games to a degree. And those those farming games are kind of like Life Sims. But we don't really cover Animal Crossing or The Sims because it's a... I guess because it doesn't have enough goals to be an, or enough story to be an RPG it, with our very weirdly broad definition of it. So, um, yeah, I've never gotten into The Sims or Animal Crossing. I've sampled them on other people's machines, but and I do own a copy of New Leaf that was given to me as a gift. Uh, shout out Nick. But I, uh, I, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm worried that I would, it would either destroy my life as it has yours, or I would just wouldn't get into it. Um, I'm I'm 50-50 on it, but I, I have very little experience in that genre. Oh, that's fine. They're just, they are addictive. Uh, they are quite scarily um, time-consuming, and it's pretty crazy how quickly an hour or two goes by just by, oh, I've just talked to four villagers and bought clothes. That's literally all I've done in an hour. Oh, Let's do it again! Oh, bless your heart. You want to talk yeah. about uh, hours turning into ten hours and building things. Um, <laughs> well, let's move into, into the next topic. Uh, my first... My first entry into this little game we're playing is uh, a genre that is sometimes called 4X. That I would also might that I also might call city building games. I'm talking about uh, si- especially Civilization, but uh, any sort of turn-based strategy game that for- focuses on building. The 4Xs are, if I remember correctly, uh, explore, expand, exploit, exterminate. So basically, w- with Civilization being sort of the or example. Uh, these games are turn-based uh, and and involve you know settling and building cities, expanding your empire, um, developing things like science and religion and culture, 
and uh, and and interacting with other civilizations with diplomacy or war or espionage, and 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 basically having the satisfaction of building a great city or building a great empire. And I've played so many of these over the years. I've put at least 200 hours into Civilization V. is probably the one I'm, I've, I've, uh, I've dived the deepest into. But uh, I've played most of the Heroes of Might and Magic games. I've played, uh, I've played a lot of the first two Master of Orion games. The selling points of those being, in Master of Orion, uh, there's about a dozen um, alien races, one of them being human. That each that each have a uh, that e- that each have a special sort of trait and a special kind of planet that they suit, and uh, that that game is about settling a galaxy with scattered star systems. And Heroes of Might and Magic, which is a strategy spinoff of the regular RPG Might and Magic, there's uh, different kinds of kings and towns. Barbarian town has uh, has trolls and ogres and and uh, orcs, and so and so on. Um, but in each of the in those two games, specifically sci-fi flavored and fantasy flavored, uh, they're al- they're <laughs> you, you, you can get so weird the um, situations that you get placed in. Like in one Heroes of Might and Magic game, I did I did the the, uh, the the quest design. It got so weird. I had to teleport from island to island, basically conquering the town in each island, finding where the t- uh, door to the next island was before I ran into the other civilization. And by the by that time, whoever had you know more resources and more towns had the advantage in the in the push to conquering and in one masters master of orion game i decided to just only stay on a only uh settle a couple planets and um as the cylons which are you know sort of a uh like a sort of like a uh like an area 51 gray kind of alien to get a bunch of science bonuses and just tried to see if i could out technology the entire rest of the galaxy without uh exploring more than say 10% of it and in, in in civilization games like i've uh my favorite thing to do in those is to get a high population or high science civilization like india or korea or uh, babylon in civilization 5 and just try to see if i can beat the game with only two or three cities and just by throwing as much into technology as i possibly can or if I want to do the opposite strategy, I can try and see if I can beat the conquer the entire world by the Bronze Age by picking the Huns or something, who or an enemy with a you know a, an enemy, a civilization with really good early game uh, offensive units. So the, those games, depending on what your goals are and what your sort of play style and preferences are, you can win them in almost in so many different ways the in the might of magic games uh if you you can either like solve the world's puzzle and find the holy grail to win or you can conquer every other civilization to win and in civilization 5 um uh, most of the civilization games have uh situations like this you can win by either by either be voting voted hegemon of the world with a diplomacy victory a uh, conquer every other civilization with a with a uh, a wartime victory or be the first civilization to settle uh outer space with a science victory and just there's so many paths to strategy and so many paths to victory that some I will fire up one of these games, throw in a podcast or something, and just go nuts. And one hour will become ten hours, just like Alana playing Animal Crossing. <laughs> and and uh, the ones I've played the most of these are probably uh, Civ Five for sure. Uh, Heroes of Might and Magic two and three are sort of where I peaked in those. Those are the late nineties, early two thousands ones, and uh, Master of Orion two. I haven't really gotten into any of the MOO games besides t- beyond two, I should say. It's weird coming off of what I was saying and what you were saying, and I'm like, there's so much to do in like the Forex games, but they've always really scared me off because my some of my old friends used to play them, and they used to show them to me and be like, "This is all the stuff you can do," and I'm like. 
no, it's too much. Like, why is there so much choice? And it's like, but it's really fascinating because there are so many different options you have and so many different, like you can win by just being smart or just by having loads of different empires and things like that. But there's, there's so much to do in them. It's just kind of scary, but. Yeah. And it's a, l- a little strange. Like um, it, civilization is sort of the purest one. You, there's a, a lot of different paths to success in Heroes of Might and Magic. It's really about, you know, recruiting armies and send and finding resources and clues and spells at, and exploring the world is a much bigger yeah. focus than in Civ. And in Master of Orion, like expansion's important, but also Master Master of Orion has a uh, a ship design feature where you where you basically can research and discover ship parts and you can combine them like almost like Legos to to, to uh, design your own warships. Oh. That I like sounds, it. That sounds really good. Yeah, like, e- each of them has their own flavor and their own sort of strengths and weaknesses. I mean, when I was much younger, I uh, part uh, Civ 2 was my favorite of these because whenever I wanted, I could call my council together, and uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in FMV sequences, uh, the council will either tell me I was doing a good job or a bad job. <laughs> I love them. They were, they, they were hilarious. They're um, so 90s, aren't they? Extremely nineties, nineties, and depending on what age they were in, uh, they would either appear sort of Greco-Roman or medieval, or uh, <laughs> or like early twentieth uh, century or modern day. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I I really got a kick out of um out of bugging my council. Yeah, but but yeah, the, those games it's because they give you so much freedom and give you so much satisfaction when you accomplish a large goal like. Oh, sometimes if I'm in in the late stage of one of those games and doing very well, I'll just I'll just not end my turn and just and just marvel at my empire because it's 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 really satisfying. See the seeing the you know screen filled with whatever color of the flag the of the civilization you're using is. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't thought about that Civ Five port, have you, for Switch, or are you scared of it? Is that that is the one um, you reported recently? Uh, it was either Civ Five or Civilization Revolution because Civ Six is out. And Civ Revolution mm-hmm. was a console version uh, that was like a slightly, slight, I think it was a slightly watered down Civ Four. I think that it was, was Civ Six. I think it was Civ Six that got ported. Okay, to so Switch. Yeah, okay. Yes, okay. Oh, six is out. Okay. I, I haven't bought Six yet because it's expensive, but I'm tempted to because it's for the first time in civilization history. Uh, Hungary is a is a civilization, and that is my oh. that is where the name Solosi comes from. So it's like, man, are the are the Hungarians good? I got I got to figure it out. <laughs> Represent, yeah, because my uh, my strategy is always to pick either a civilization that's good at uh that's either good at science or good at um or good at culture, because because building. Mm. Those are the two most appealing tracks for me in Civilization Five. Uh, I, I, do, I rarely go out and start conquering unless it's either I'm trying to get an achievement or I'm I'm so technologically advanced that it's that it's trivial conquering another civilization. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, uh, so that's my uh, lifelong off and on obsession with 4X strategy games. This makes me want to fire up Heroes of Might and Magic Three again and see if I can you know build an army of only undead and elementals, but. <laughs> Uh, but Nathan, what's one of the uh, genres or games or series that you want to discuss? Okay, so we're going to uh, rewind about 14 years or so. Is it 14? Yeah, I think it's about 14 years. So gr- growing up, uh, you know, I was a big fan of video games, and but I didn't really know a whole lot about like anything competitive in gaming. But for whatever reason, my dad managed to find a channel that was airing uh, Major League Gaming on TV. I have no idea how... He found it, but then I'm spending like a good like half a year watching pro Halo Two tournaments, 
and that's basically what got me into starting with shooters. Like, I didn't have, like, I mostly grew up in Nintendo, so I didn't have, like, a lot of, uh, you know, didn't get Microsoft consoles or anything like that. But I went out and got 360 after experiencing Gears of War at a friend's place. And that's kind of where my, um, my kind of, like, my, my dream of being a pro gamer kind of started. It was that back back in those days. So games like Halo and Gears of War, and Gears of War was kind of the, my catalyst for really expanding outside of Nintendo and RPGs in general. <clears throat> and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's even still, like, I guess, still kind of like half dream of being a pro gamer. Like I've, I'm into Overwatch right now, and Overwatch is a, a game I've put a lot of time into. If you ever see me on Discord. Uh, you'll notice the uh, like later night it'll probably say so, so part of my name says playing Overwatch, so it's still something that I still want to do. And I'm even an Overwatch coach at the moment, so my, my, kind of my career for for being in esports is kind of still going even now. Is <laughs> the team you coach? Are they, are they full OWL or are they one of the the smaller teams trying to break into OWL? Oh, oh man, if we were in OWL, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'd still be here. Yeah, that makes it. <laughs> that, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, no. We, well, we want to at least like you know, play together, have some fun, and, you know, maybe get into some tournaments and do well in tournaments. But that's but that's my story with shooters. It's, it's kind of what would define my early teenage years is that kind of genre. Now, it's clear that you like multiple series and not just Overwatch or just Halo, but what do you think you, you uh, get out of a shooter? Like, like uh, what's something about shooters that appeals to you that would be a selling point for you to find a new obsession? Is it like more of the mechanics or the art style or or what? Well, it's more of like the kind of rush I get from playing shooters. It does. It, I feel like it, I don't get a much adrenaline rush from playing other things. It's the you know the reflexes, the you know always keeping a head head on a swivel, just make sure that you're not going to get you know attacked from behind or something like that. It's Are you telling like... me you don't get an adrenaline an adrenaline rush from hitting the end turn button in a game of Civ Five and watching the barbarians move? Huh? Oh, oh no, that happens with me sometimes too. I, I put All right. I play stuff. Like uh, I'll, I'll get into it later because strategy games is another one of my genres that I love. But uh, but, but still, with shooters, it's it's an experience that I can't get anywhere else. And it, nowadays, like I've gone mostly past shooters. Like I've gone past like you know the Call of Duties, the Battlefields of of my time, of my early teenage years. But uh, they have to be kind of unique shooters these days to really catch my attention. So something like. Uh, Something like Bioshock or, say, Overwatch is a hero-based shooter. Anything like that will kind of get my attention these days. Something that that's more than just, you know, you know, whoever has the quickest reflexes wins. I confess this is a genre that I barely ever play. I, uh, I didn't really grow up with shooters. I, I didn't even own an N64 to play, uh, to play GoldenEye or Perfect Dark on. But uh, when I play a first-person game, it's, it's mostly – it's probably been only in the past 10 or 15 years – and I and my hooks for playing it were usually not mechanical. Like I, I I have a I have a lot of affection for Far Cry Three because of the ridiculous setup of its story and um and uh, I wasn't sick of the gameplay loop of going up Ubisoft towers to open up more more of the map by then. Uh, <laughs> but so is has there ever been a shooter that's really grabbed you with story hooks or design hooks? Because I think I mean I mean speaking of Overwatch, that game has some of the most one of the coolest, most diverse casts, and some of the most stylish uh, action I've ever seen in a first-person game. Yeah, no, I love that about Overwatch. I kind of wish they had, like, the Overwatch had a campaign so you could actually play through all these character stories. Because right now, it's just told through their 
animated shorts, which are all, all are fantastic. You, ever, you guys should go and watch it if you guys haven't watched Overwatch uh, shorts. They're really good. The fan community for Overwatch is rabid as hell. They, oh, oh, they oh, yeah. love that cast. <laughs> I was going to say, like Overwatch is probably the only shooter I've played in the, in my life because most of them make me motion sick and overwatch is one of the ones that doesn't um but also just because it's so bright and fun and like the characters are also different and they've all got their own little backstories and you know you can either play as like some i don't know some cowboy or you can play as uh but yeah you like there's just so much fun to be had with overwatch i think um i don't play it now it was like an on and off thing when um an ex-partner had it um so we just played it on and off occasionally uh but i had a lot of fun with it and it was really easy to pick up and play and i got a few um man of the matches i guess well whatever oh, they're play called. The play game. of the game play the game yeah, that's yeah. the one um yes. but yeah <laughs> uh yeah it was a lot of fun and i just loved how like different everybody was and that you could play everything i i mainly just played attack classes though because i cannot do defensive at all unfortunately yeah that's fine yes that that's one of the best things about Overwatch is it's it's access it's accessibility because a lot of people oh. can look at shooters and it's like oh I don't know if I can handle like all the crazy fast paced shooters and Overwatch is fast paced don't get me wrong but there are other roles you can play where it's not as fast paced and you don't have to play like you don't have to be great mechanically you know to be good <clears throat> mm-hmm. so take take me for example I'm not like I haven't played shooters in years and I'll, even when I play Overwatch I actually use a controller so my mechanics yeah. aren't like great like I'm like a PC gamer grade but uh, with my role, I play support mostly, so I don't really need to have the greatest mechanics in the world to be effective at my role. But for shooters, it's just always been like something that I grew up with. So, like I had like mine sixty four. I had Goldeneye. Friends came over to play Goldeneye. Uh, didn't get Perfect Dark, but uh, I, I I was obsessed with like the 007 games or any of the James Bond games. So like Nightfire was one. I I met a couple of neighbors uh, who lived close to me, and we used to play Nightfire all the time like we'd have four player multiplayer going all the time so we could play uh just split screen it's a good old days when i was in college uh halo was definitely the dominant shooter uh for multiplayer uh and uh, and if you go a little bit pre-halo or um at least pre-college for me um i have a lot of uh yeah we played a lot of time splitters 3 especially with the the cast and the story is gets so ridiculous Mm -hmm. in that game uh oh yeah we um, I, we played a lot of Halo Two in my friend group in high school. It was a really popular time. And then um, when I worked at summer camp, um, one of the things we did for like computer classes was we would run a uh, Counter Strike games. Uh, oh, yeah. So we basically have Counter Strike LAN parties with the <laughs> campers. It was a lot of fun. Wow. When I LAN partied in the two thousands, it was usually for Diablo. Um, but, but yeah, Counter Strike, Halo, all, all of that has been sort of you know, endemic to multiplayer for basically as long as the shooter genre has been around. But none of us are quite old enough to be deep into the Doom scene, I'm afraid. <laughs> I remember yeah, my dad playing Quake back in the day, but uh, that's about it. For a few, I a mean, few I... of my friends did, but I, I was I was only eight or nine when those games were super super popular, and uh, it, it was not my pr- preferred kind of game. Yeah, I actually have gone back and played Doom. It's pretty, it's a really good game. I love that one. Mm. I love um, the id software like story, like the, the Masters of Doom book was really a really fascinating read, um, and I feel like uh, Romero would be a really fun guy to talk to. Carmack, not so much, but uh... <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I mean, Carmack was the real genius who decided not to make Daikatana, which is a whole other podcast. Which, okay, so, okay, so this is this is off topic. Okay, okay, we have to go on this for one second here. 
Uh, apparently, Dakatana has a Game Boy Color port. Why? Awesome. I'm going to buy it. I like, just found out about this, and so I'm like, huh. <laughs> All right. Oh, Daikatana man. would be a super fun April Fool's episode, except that I would probably have to play Daikatana. <laughs> no, it's a torture. No one ever wants to do that. I mean, it's aged better than Doom 3. Just reading about that game is interesting, but I don't think I ever want to play it. But, okay, if we're, if we're talking about Daikatana, then maybe it's time to move on to a new topic. Uh, Peter, what's one of your multiplayer jams of choice? <laughs> man... I really, really like Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you and Woo, a lot of yeah. people, because I think Mario, the appropriate Mario Kart is the best-selling game of, like, every Nintendo console. Yeah, which, I mean, with good reason. It's just, it's chaotic fun. Um, I uh, I played a lot of Mario Kart 64 um, with a buddy of mine when we were growing up, and Mario Kart Double Dash on the GameCube was my jam. My sister and I would uh, play that one, because... Uh, in Double Dash, um, you have two racers, and you were able to like have one person driving, one person throwing items, and you could do co-op doing that. So um, that made unlocking stuff really fun because you could like play through races together. Um, I suppose I should back up and probably be like um, Mario Mario Kart's just like as far as like kart racers go. I was saying this on um, in private before the Game Awards recently, but. Um, Kart racers are kind of my weakness. Like, I'm not really a big fan of realistic driving games, but apparently, if you um, put me in a go kart and give me um, uh, the ability to throw homing missiles at people, suddenly I'm all about it. Then I kind of skipped Mario Kart Wii, but uh, my sister, that was again my sister Julia. She played a lot of that game, um, and uh, and I got back into it with Mario Kart uh, Eight on the uh, on the Wii U. And now the Switch, which I think is like just one of the best kart racers ever. Um, it's so fun. It's so varied. They've got a whole bunch of different tracks. Um, the zero gravity mechanic is really fun. I love how it kind of changes your perspective. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure Mario Kart 8 is probably my favorite Mario Kart of all time. Yeah, it's just, it. Yeah, it's really done a lot. It's like nailed everything. It's nailed the bikes. It's nailed the zero gravity. It's nailed the balance pretty much. And I think. Like, it's a regular when friends come out, like, uh, come over. It's like, you want to play Mario Kart? Yeah, sure. Like, we get beers in and alcohol in, and it's great. And we'll just scream it at each other at 2 a.m. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mario Kart yeah, DS yeah. came in, came out when I was uh, uh, the president of my video games club in college. And and every single meeting, we would have, you know, our uh, discussion and then uh, for 30 minutes and then just play games for 90 minutes. And there was always a group of eight that would uh, hook up DSs for, Mar- for an eight-person Mario Kart and oh, it, nice. that was a really, really solid package. I, I loved MKDS. It's the one I've put the most time into. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I didn't own a, uh, uh, a Wii. I never owned a Wii U, and I didn't get a Switch until recently. So I haven't, I haven't played any of those except on other people's machines. Mm. But uh, the Switch Mario Kart is pretty great. Yeah, <laughs> I know, definitely. Because uh, that one, with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on Switch, they took all the content from Mario Kart 8 on Wii U, all the down, all the DLC um, added a proper battle mode, which on um, battle mode in Mario Kart is like my, that, that is my jam because um, it's just again it's just like an even more chaotic uh, way to play the game. You're not racing anymore. You're basically just trying to like 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 uh, basically just trying to do as much damage as you can. 
to the other racers. I miss the battle mode so much. I'm so glad they brought it back proper for Mario Kart mm-hmm. 8 Deluxe. I, so I really good. liked battle mode in the SNES and N64 Mario Karts, but the, it, it wasn't very good in Double Dash or on the Wii. No, oh, I liked it in Double Dash. <laughs> it was okay in Double Dash, but eh. yeah, they definitely dropped off the wagon. But um, it's way better in in Deluxe because they brought back all the old, a lot of the old mini games, including some new ones. There's a a really weird cops and robbers mode on Switch where like you have a group of people who are just trying to stay away from the other team who all have piranha plant items equipped, and the piranha <laughs> plants have little sirens on their heads that go off whenever they're near an opposing racer, and they have to try to catch them. So and then the most great. It's so fun. It's also kind of broken because you play online and literally everyone is just camping around the jail waiting to hit yeah. the switch. It is a uh, <laughs> it, it, love it, online gamers. That's just how it goes. I mean that that's gonna happen no matter what. But uh, uh, but I played I played like I played an inordinate amount of time on Mario Kart Eight on when it was on Wii U. And um, I've been and I've been playing it a lot on my Switch as well. I love. It's basically the main reason I signed up for the online mode was because I'm like, yep, I want to keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. Out of curiosity, who do you main? If you do, um, I usually. Oh, that's a that is a good one. Um, I main a Yoshi. Um, in yes. the F, in yes, yep, <laughs> black black Yoshi in the F zero car in the F zero <laughs> with the uh, cyber treads. I love that. That's so cute. I love Black Yoshi. I like the yellow, uh, the orange one as well. There's an orange Yoshi. He's not in anything else. Put him in other stuff. Really? Yeah. There was you, you couldn't be orange in Yoshi's Island or in uh, in in uh, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. I you definitely well Thousand Year Door. It was predetermined as green because he has a mohawk, doesn't he? Um, but um... no, in Thousand Year Door, it depends on like the uh, the hour count of your gameplay, what color he ends up being. My, oh shoot! Yeah, my my Yoshi was red when I first played that game. Oh my god! But I don't know okay. if he can. I don't know if he can be orange though. He's not as common as the other five main colors or whatever. But yeah. sort of in Mario Tennis as well. I can't remember. Okay. Oh, maybe. Okay. Um, no, I was just curious because yeah, I do like middleweight classes as well, and I'm curious to see why you like you stick with the cart because like ever since they brought bikes in. I've kind of fallen in love with I, the bikes. I like. I like. I, I think bikes are fun, but I find them a little hard to control. Like in terms of like the of, of steering them. Oh, um, but... <laughs> I, I like. I like. I got used to the way uh, drifting worked in a in a in a cart, and uh, then I had to set a hard time adapting to bikes. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to stick to this. Plus, again, since I didn't play uh, uh, Mario Kart oh. Wii. I wasn't yeah. quite as used to the way bikes work, whereas my sister right. prefers them because she yeah. played that game a lot. Yeah, yeah. Bikes are OP in Mario Kart Wii. Yeah, when, yeah. I, when I when I played Mario Kart Wii, I think it was Mario Kart Wii. I uh, I think all of us would would use bikes, and all of us fought over who got to be Donkey uh, Funky Kong. <laughs> yeah, but, but I Funky, Kong. Funky, Kong. Right. Funky Kong on a bike. That's that, that's my kind of Mario Kart. Yep. Uh, but uh, ro- ro- um, if I was gonna use a bike, though, I'd probably pick Rosalina for main because. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. Not I do ashamed. Peach, I do peach on a bike. I have peach on a bike. That's my main. Um, any Ooh. bike, as long as it's got like a really tight drift. I like it when I'm nearly gonna fall off the edge. It stresses me out, but it means I win a lot of the time. I don't know right. why, but I like. I love the bike, and I like the middleweight, lightweight classes in everything anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I, mm-hmm. I love Mario Kart a lot. Yeah, I love um. I was gonna say I love shortcuts too in tracks. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, finding shortcuts and exploiting them is like is super rewarding. When a when a track feels like an environment that you have to learn, I think that's uh 
that and and, and solving the track as as much as racing against others is really really fun in fighting in fighting excuse me in racing games <laughs> uh, and and Mario Kart always has a really you know colorful version of solving the track with uh, a lot of color and personality um shoot I'm trying to think of w- what other kart races racers would even peter be into besides Mario Kart I mean I'm not I don't, I'm not sh- I'm not I guessing you were like, like a, you were like were you like a mod nation player or something I didn't play Mod Nation. No, I liked um, I liked uh, Crash Team Racing and Crash Nitro Kart. Um, I played okay. a lot of those ones. Um, Nitro Nitro Kart was is one of the the weaker Crash games, but I was I played it before Team Racing, and I I don't know I liked it a lot. You know, yeah. I, I thought it was crazy that Naughty Dog never made an Uncharted racer because before then their pattern was <laughs> Crash One, Crash Two, Crash Three, Crash Racing, then Jack One, Jack Two, Jack Three, Jack Racing, and then Uncharted never had a racing game. They broke the one pattern. Did- well, they better make a new track in a car in a go kart. <laughs> they, they need to make up for it and do last, last of us of racing. racing. Yep, that, 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 that's the solution. <laughs> uh, last of us racing. Instead of a third game, they'll just go straight to it just to make up for the fact they made four uncharted or it, five, I guess. No, that no, should be the entire. That. That, that should be the entire second half of uh, of Last of Us Two. <laughs> there's there's six Uncharted games to my knowledge because you have the Vita one yeah, and then four right. main series ones and then the one that's uh that's that's just uh Chloe and the girl from Four. I'm gonna chuck in Diddy Kong Racing as well because ah. Diddy Kong Racing is the jam. It's so good. Also, more recently. Uh, Sonic and Sega All-Star Racing Transformed. I did not just buy that because of one particular stage and one particular character, I swear. You're okay. sure? Because Vice is really good in that game. Oh, I didn't main him at all, no. Oh, oh, oh so you're more of a uh, uh, Joe Musashi from Shinobi kind of person. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> why I bought it. So, Sega, port that to Switch, because I don't have a Wii U anymore. I have, I have that on PC, and it is super fun. Like it's, it's really it's, good. It, it, it's hard to get to you know um, beat the later single game challenge, uh, single player challenges because you have to get really good at drifting and boosting. But uh, that that is a cool video game. I I really like my time with uh, Sega and Sonic All Stars Ra- Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing, the one from a couple, the one from like three years ago. I guess. Transformed. Yeah. 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 There is a new one coming out, and I'm kind of curious. Like it looks fun, but but, but that it's one's more Sonic. To... That one's more Sonic it... focused, right? Yeah, it's all Sonic characters. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, yeah. still down. It can't be worse than Free Riders, but... <laughs> yeah, please no. Yeah, that was uh, that was disappointing. Like, ooh, a mm-hmm. Sonic racing game. Why hasn't th- why hasn't anyone done this before? Well, they did, but Sonic R doesn't count. But you play it, and it's like, oh. This oh, is why. Oh. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's too yeah, bad, but, but at least we'll always have Mario Kart, which is going to be guaranteed to sell millions whenever Nintendo pops out a new one. I, I should sure. pro- I should probably get uh, a Mario Kart Switch DX or whatever it's officially called. You should. We can race. Yeah, I don't. Um, I I think the newest Mario Kart I own is the 3DS one. It's pretty good. I, I like DS more. Um, but so I guess if we've exhausted our kart racing discussion, we're gonna start the cycle anew. Alana, what's your second game or genre to discuss? Um, so to jump off of Mario Kart, we're going to go into platformers, but specifically, I mean, I grew up with platformers as a kid, so Sonic was my first ever video game, um, but I want to go into some forgotten ones, because I played a lot during my very early years that not many other people had done. I mean, there are ones on the PS1 specifically that I'm thinking of, like, they're not as obscure now because people tend to share things more often, but you've got, like, Croc, you've got... The original Rayman, I mean, actually, to go on a segue, Rayman Legends. I feel like I've not brought up Rayman Legends for a while. 
Please play Rayman Legends. Rayman Origins and Rayman Legends are two of the best 2D platformers ever. Yeah. And and uh, and they're both hella underrated. I I want a third game to, in in that trilogy very very badly, but Ubisoft is more interested in rabbits for some reason. They are indeed. The original Rayman is fairly good, but it's hard as nails. Like, yeah, oh it's... my god! And then Rayman two and three, which was I think a a, D- a Dreamcast and then a PS two game, were a little <laughs> bit more uh three D collectathons, like a more like a banjo or, or yeah, like a, uh, and they were all right, but not what I wanted exactly. And Rayman Origins, Rayman Legends, those two, whatever system you get them on, I don't care. Those those are both amazing. Yeah, they definitely were. Um. But then there's other things like there's some stuff that came over from the Saturn, like Pandemonium that I played as a kid. My mom used to love Pandemonium for some reason. I don't really know why. And I tried to replay it recently and it's not aged particularly well. Dex was pretty cool as well. It's like with all those movie references. and I really liked the two uh, Tomba games for PS1. Yeah, that was the other one I was going to mention. Oh. There were also <laughs> some really solid Looney Tunes games on the PS1 that were really fun. Um, I think I remember playing back in action or back in time or something like that that was really good but (laughs) well there's one in particular i want to talk about and it's one that's been dead for ages it's basically relegated to reference status now and that's klonoa um in particular the ps1 and the ps2 game now interestingly klonoa does have rpgs in japan and japan only Um, really yeah there is a klonoa and the dark brotherhood Something like that, I think. I've always <laughs> wanted. To... Yeah, I know, right? Um, I've always wanted to play them. Uh, there's a GBA game as well that I, Empire of Lost Dreams, I think it's called. Um, it was good, but I didn't love it as much. And it was the PS1 and the PS2 one I played in particular. And I, uh, sorry to interrupt. I played the PS2 Klonoa 2 and the Wii remake of Klonoa 1, and mm. uh, both of them were total delights. It's 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 a, it's a little unfortunate that Klonoa mostly lives on in like Tales games costumes. Yeah, right. Um, but. So the first way I got into Klonoa was uh, a demo on a PlayStation 1 magazine. Um, Daughter Phantom Isle um, was one of the games on the disc, and I spent hours playing that very first level, Windmill Hill, I think it's called. Um, But the kind of quirk with Klonoa, they're pretty easy. They're very much uh, pick-up-and-play, really easy, kid-friendly games. Um, Klonoa is a cat-rabbit thing with really long ears, and he can float using his really long ears. Um... But his little quirk is that he carries around a giant ring and he uses this ring to capture enemies. Um, The generic ones are like little red balls. They're like red Kirbys called Moos. And he captures them with his ring and they swell up even bigger. And then he can like double jump with them. But there are like various different ones that do different things. So the ones with wings, you get a slightly higher jump off of them. There's some running ones where you like, um, I think they can go in certain directions and then in two there are ones that you can use to fly or ones you can use to zap around the stage with elect in for electricity um but the other kind of gimmick that Klonoa was really famous for for being 2.5d um so like all the environments and the character all the environments are three-dimensional but they're set on a 2d plane um so you go around in circles kind of thing it's like spirals and yeah this this this, this stage will zoom in and out or rotate around uh Mm -hmm. When I played um, Donkey Kong Country Returns for the first time, I got a serious Klonoa 2 vibe from it because of the way that mm. you'll enter the foreground and background of stages and the stages would rotate. It's That was something I did. I think I did notice first when I played Klonoa 2. Mm, yeah, there's lots of that in Klonoa 2. It's really stylish. It's, it's, it's super cool, especially if you're playing that in the early 2000s and there aren't a lot of games like it. Yeah. Um, 
But no, that, that's kind of the draw for Klonoa 1 I remember a bit less because I actually didn't play it until uh, much later. I only played the demo and then picked up the game maybe when I was like 11 or 12. Um, but the really bright and colourful worlds, um, the stages are set into visions, so like dreams, I suppose, because um, Klonoa is the dream traveller. Um, so you go to different areas and you collect 150 gems. There's always a few more or less, give or take. There are certain trials that you can do which um, will double your count of gems for a certain amount of time and things. And there are also citizens you can save. So you there's like six pieces of a medallion in every level in both games. And you can save those those if you get those six medallions, then you save all of the people of that location. So there are some kind of collectathon aspects on it. But um, Klonoa Two is the one that I really remember, and there's so many different things to do and so many different styles of levels. So there's the standard like 2.5D platforming. There are surfboarding levels. There is a really cool snowboarding level that has a song in it, and you can find a karaoke version of it online. And the lyrics are completely nonsense. Like the voice actress for Klonoa made up the language, I believe. Um, I awesome. Don't it's Japanese. Um, so it's a complete blast trying to sing along to that. But like, so what you're saying is Klonoa is the Lord of the Rings of video games. Lord of the Rings or Nier as well. <laughs> but yeah, they're just really fun, and I love how I love how innocent they are and how sweet, and I love the characters and I love the worlds. I think. One of my favourite levels in 2. Actually, the Klonoa games have really dope music as well. Um, really underappreciated. But my favourite worlds in 2, because there are four separate kingdoms and they're all themed after uh, emotion. So there's Joyland, which is the funfair kingdom, which is for everyone's happy there all the time. And then there's uh, Discord, which is not Discord as we know it in the line, but it's where lots of angry, warmongering people live, which maybe is where Discord actually gets its inspiration because people like to be angry online, but if you find the right people, Discord is really nice. Um, and then there's, oh God, I can never remember what the Snowy Kingdom's called, but they're basically really placid and very, um, very kind of out of it so they like to stay away from everything uh but that's my favorite place because i love snowy levels and there's this really cool level which is called uh, moonlight museum where there are puzzles that rotate the stage upside down and flip mm-hmm. things around and things like that and there's some really cool puzzles in there um but yeah clonoa well, is just delightful and i'm really sad that it's been forgotten about and is relegated to basically Prisea's costume in tales of symphonia well, th- there's more Klonoa costumes in later Tales games, but um, hmm. which, which doesn't invalidate your point, of course. But um, I would like to see a Klonoa uh, come back, because they were very functional, very cool platformers of their time. And uh, I'll, I'll get into some different PS2 platformers very soon. But uh, I think low-key, the PS2 was an excellent system for platformers mm-hmm. and uh they they, they, were, they just had a knack of having a oh, mascot character with a bunch of uh cool platforming stages and and uh klonoa's gimmick of using emotions to characterize the your typical you know uh like grassy area snowy area kind of worlds was a very very cool gimmick and yeah. um they almost had a uh oh shoot almost had a nights into dreams vibe of the way that klonoa could be very soaring and floaty for cer- certain mm-hmm. segments yeah, I get that. Actually, that's a really good comparison. Mario, Mario Galaxy gives uh, gives me the same feeling too for a lot of its uh, just just for the feeling of you know flying that it gives you is really really great. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the gimmick with the emotions thing is that there is a evil hidden fifth kingdom called the Kingdom of Sorrow. But obviously, by the end of the game, Klonoa is like, no, everybody needs sorrow in their lives as well. And it's like, really? Do I? Well, hey, look, the uh, Pixar film Inside Out also teaches us this: that uh, exactly. som- sometimes you need sadness to, uh, you know, to make the other emotions feel right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the Kingdom of Sorrow is like really desolate and sandy. It's called Hyponia, I think, and it's just really desolate and deserty. And there's a sandboarding level, and it's there is a six-minute level, which is really long and full of every puzzle imaginable. But it's fun, and yeah, you should oh, play Klonoa because they're pretty cheap. Um, on the subject of like a sequel or something, um, back when the Wii version was released of the original game, um, the creators said if it sold enough, they would do a Wii version of 2, and... Oh, that lack- never happened. Hmm. By the lack of a remake, yeah, it didn't sell very well, which is probably not surprising because Namco are not amazing at marketing stuff that isn't a fighting game anymore, I would say. So, <laughs> yeah. I think there are Klonoa costume items in Tekken 7. Oh I my think. god. Well, that's it then. I'm buying Tekken 7, obviously. Uh, well, th- there might also be in, in Soul Calibur 6, because have you seen some of the costume stuff people do in Soul Calibur 6? Holy crap. I I have seen some interesting ones, yeah. Do the... in a clown costume? Yeah, that, that, that was an unexpected one. Give the internet what they want, and they'll do what they want with it. Fa- 2B fans either aggressively love that or hate it, I guarantee. Mm-hmm. There's no middle ground. <laughs> but if they hate it, they're wrong. I do miss Klonoa. Like, uh, going through that run of platformers before was uh, very amusing, but I, I would welcome a Klonoa 3 or a, uh, fo- a Rayman follow-up to Legends. Those, those would be instant, both eyebrows way up to the top of my head kind of situations. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're doing well. They, I mean, Crash and Spyro aren't, like, exactly not well-known, but, yeah, like, yeah, Spyro's they're... a bit more obscure than Crash, but they're doing Medieval as well, and it's like, that's a little bit middle, so maybe if you keep going down... <laughs> Maybe if you keep going more obscure, then we'll get there eventually. But but well, uh, Sp- Spyro and Crash and Medieval were all made by American by American studios. Yeah, correct. So and the, Klonoa it, is Japanese. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's not always easy for and and I know that uh, Spyro is in, no longer held by Insomniac. Activision runs Spyro now, uh, and and Toys for Bob did, which did the recent remake, and also. Uh, Oh, what were those toys to life really popular? Skylanders. Yeah, Skylanders, yeah. So the Skylanders studio is doing the uh, the Spyro remake. So I, I think it would be weird for like an, an, uh, for an American studio to pick up a Japanese property like that. They, they um, Na- mm. Namco usually doesn't play ball so easily. But I mean, no. hey, now we have Walking Dead characters in Tekken 7. So maybe I'm completely wrong about that. <laughs> I would like to think so, but I would, you know, I'd love for Namco to do something with Klonoa that's not just costume related. But speaking of Insomniac, <laughs> and hey. speaking of platformers, um, I'm going to change topics a little bit. Um, for my for my second uh, topic in this game we're playing, um, I want to talk about my two favorite series of platformers. And, and they're, they're less obscure than Klonoa or Rayman, but the thing they have in common besides being my my two favorite series two of my favorite series in this genre or no 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 my two favorite series in this genre like Donkey Kong and Mario or a distant third and fourth place uh they they focus more on the arsenal of the main character i think than a lot of platformers do because for a lot of platformers it's really about the rum- running and jumping and maybe the the characters will learn more running and jumping skills as the game goes on but the, the general toolkit of a platforming character doesn't change a lot as the game goes on. But for 
Mega Man, like, practically the whole loop of the game is getting a new weapon with every stage. And for Ratchet and Clank, the game has almost more firefights than, uh, than platforming challenges. And they're my... Even though I'm not into shooters, I love these two platform shooters so much. Um, Mega Man was my first favorite video game character. Like, when I was in my early... My first year or two of playing games, the first favorite character I had was Mega Man. I, uh... Um... I, it, it, one of the big shocks of my video game life was uh, I played two of the Mega Man games for Game Boy. I think it was two and four, which were animal games of the NES Mega Man games. But then when I got an NES a little bit later and rented a Mega Man game, I didn't realize that Mega Man changed colors whenever you used weapons. <laughs> Until I played him on the NES. <laughs> which would have been the uh, early mid-90s. So that was a shocker, but the Mega Man gameplay loop of go through a colorful stage with a distinctive song, beat a distinctive boss, get their weapon, change colors to use that weapon, then determine what boss is weak against that weapon, that gameplay loop was one of my gaming obsessions for many, many years. And uh, I moved on to the Mega Man X games and played all of those. I've beaten not a huge proportion of the Mega Man games for most of them. I will like beat the first couple Wily stages and then get stuck at a boss and then move on. But I, I, I just love the loop of Mega Man getting stronger with every boss he fights and always being this underdog robot, beating robots bigger and cooler than he is. It, it, he's probably going to be one of my favorite video game characters forever just because of sort of what he represents and uh, what, what playing a Mega Man game is like. I, I played Mega Man 11 earlier this year, and I uh, beat it more easily than I thought I, than I, thought I would. I was, I was expecting to maybe not be able to finish it, but... It sort of demonstrated me to me how uh, the weakness of a Mega Man game. I beat I, I I beat the game in less than three hours, but also it just felt so good to have a well designed, big, colorful, fun Mega Man game again. That I was I was just so happy he was back in my life and in, in and in this kind of game and not in some you know weird 3ds collect microchips kind of goofball platformer. Because I I never really liked the Mega Man uh, Zero. XZ, those sub-series didn't really do it for me. It was original Mega Man and Mega Man X, and beyond that, I, d- I never really got into many spin-offs. I did like the Command Mission RPG, and I did recently play Mega Man Legends for the first time <laughs> for this podcast uh, in 2018. But, yeah, I, I just I love Mega Man so much, and it, uh, Mega Man 11 was so much fun to go back to. But moving on to my 3D Mega Man replacement, uh, the Ratchet and Clank games are, I think... Let's see, uh, f- four games in the PS2, then sort of three and a half games in the PS3, and then a bunch of spin-offs, plus a, uh, a, a remake of the first one for PS4. Uh, those games are very deliberately snarky. Like, you're always um, trying to save the galaxy from some, uh, from some force, but it has, it has a very sarcastic, like, sort of goofy uh, selection of dialogue to it. Like, um, uh, Ratchet always has some silly witticism, and uh, Clank always has some, you know, uh, uptight robot re- retort to whatever Ratchet says. But uh, the, you're um, starring Ratchet, who's a Lombax, which is a uh, an alien that resembles like resembles like a weasel or something with large ears. And uh, and his buddy Clank sticks on Ratchet's back like a backpack. And you uh, go through 3D stages, and um, the definitive parts of, parts of action in a Ratchet game are your, his gadgets. And his weapons, and the weapons are you know big, flashy explo- uh, guns with you know bombs that explode into other bombs, uh, mini nuclear weapons, uh, like uh, shoot uh, uh, 
I'm trying to think of my, some of my favorite ratchet weapons, and I'm, stu- and I'm stuttering. Uh, a liquid nitrogen gun that freezes everything, but it looks like a super soaker. Uh, nice. Every game has a different weapon that turns enemies into a different barnyard animal. <laughs> like, in the, in the first game, it's chickens. It, it's, it's chickens, then sheep, then ducks, and then the last, uh, the two of the PS3 games were, one was penguins and one was chimps. Mm. And, and the, 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 the chimpanzee weapon was called the Chimpositron, which I enjoyed very much. That is good. But, uh, but yeah, like, the ridiculous variety of weapons and um, the gadgets in Ratchet & Clank create some really amazing gimmick stages. Like, I think all of them have a magnet boots item that let you walk on ceilings and walls that are magnetized, which creates some really crazy camera situations and puzzles to solve. And um, the third Ratchet & Clank game has a, uh, some gravity boots items that have you do jumping from sphere to sphere stages oh, wow. about, about, yeah, about five years before Mario Galaxy. Yeah, uh, wow. But, it was, uh, but those games, the, the arsenals are, are so fun to play with. Upgrading your weapons is a big highlight for those, and, and also modding your weapons is a whole subsystem to deal with. The, the fourth Ratchet & Clank game had fewer weapons but more mods and... and didn't really scratch the itch correctly, but most of the games in the Ratchet and Clank series are really satisfying platforming, goofy, funny game scripts, and uh, in- including one of my favorite si- uh, comedy sidekicks of all time, Captain Quark, who de- <laughs> who deserves his own series of games. Frankly, he does. Uh, he's funny. I love he's him. hilarious, and he's uh, uh, minor spoilers for a g- for a game from 15 years ago, but he's. Uh, he ends up being um, the secret villain of Ratchet and Clank Two. The the, uh, the evil uh, galactic, pr- uh, the evil corporation president you think you're fighting is really uh, Quark in disguise. And then in three, there's he has a redemption arc, where you uh, have to re-recruit him into your team and uh, learn his secret past and uh, and and play through some 2D uh, um, uh, Quark comic books <laughs> to, to to um to f- to find out exactly what happened to Quark between Quark and the main villain many decades ago. Oh my god! But it's a uh, it's it's really like they take the world semi seriously enough that that there's real continuity between these games, and uh, the shooting is so much fun and the platforming is so fun. I uh, I, I kind of want to replay the original trilogy in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, love that Insomniac style of quirky writing. Like it's it carried over from Spyro really really well, mm-hmm. and I think where they lost Spyro in the 2000s um, and they moved on to Ratchet and Clank, it really like it developed so much there. And I, I don't love Ratchet and Clank very much, but I did find it really chaotic, really fun at times. Um, but most of all, it was just really funny and charming as hell, like you've said. So I just kind of love where that went. They went with it. And what is the Ratchet and Clank game like on the PS4? Because I heard mixed things. I heard it was good, but like... It's all right. It's, um, yeah. They, re- they released a Ratchet and Clank CG animated movie. And oh, uh, oh yeah, and uh, with this remake of one at the same time, uh, it, it it goes through the basic plot of the first game. Um, there is an evil alien uh, corporation president named Chairman Drek who wants to uh, who wants to uh, rip apart multiple planets to patchwork together an ideal planet for his people who polluted their own planet to ruin. Um, and he hires Captain Quark to be the spokesman for the new planet. And so Captain Quark uh, at first recruits Ratchet into the Rangers to. Because Ratchet Hero worships Quark, but then he ends up being a corporate shill and and a minor enemy. But the weapon selection is good in the remake. It uh, it the the platforming is a lot less challenging, and the script seems like mm-hmm. Drek and Quark are kind of are you know pretty uh, reprehensible in P- in the PS2 version, and they're played mm-hmm. for more comedy and and uh, 
and seem less threatening in the PS4 version is the the big takeaway I had. But it was a very good, competent Ratchet game. Yeah. Don't, don't they literally use uh, clips from the movie for cutscenes? Sometimes, yes. Wow. Huh. They they were really tied together. <laughs> um, the best Ratchet and Clank games, though, I think, are the second and third PS2 ones are really really good, and the last PS3 one or uh, second to last PS3 one, um, uh, uh, a crack in time. That that one. <laughs> those are the three. Uh, Going Commando, Up Your Arsenal, and Kraken Time. Those, I'm still mad that Sony uh, changed the name of Kraken Time. Its working title was Clock Blockers. Oh, come on. Yeah, but then, but then, so, yeah, but then Sony made uh, Insomniac change it to a Kraken Time, which is not as funny as Clock Blockers. It's still funny, but <laughs> it's not It's not Up Your Arsenal funny. Yeah. So yeah, the, uh, so, yeah, Going Commando, Up Your Arsenal, and the Lost Clock Blockers are my three favorites. <laughs> But there's not, there really isn't a loser in them. Uh, it, it's try whatever one you want to jump into, and maybe check a wiki if you really care about story, because there's a lot of good running and jumping and shooting in both Mega Man and Ratchet. Wow, I talked a lot just now. Uh, so Nathan, <laughs> it's your it's your turn to talk a lot. Uh, what's our next topic? All right, so I guess we'll go back to my my story of how I want to be esports player. So we're gonna go into my go into my next genre, which is strategy games. This is mostly just. Strategy and just gem, we've already talked about them. We've talked about Civ. Um, that's one of the ones I, I don't I think really the, like Civ, the Civ esports scene is very thriving, though. <laughs> hey, they, they actually hired a, a professional Civ 6 player a little while ago. I can't remember which organization did it, but oh, uh, wow. yeah, they actually hired a professional Civ 6 player. So, interestingly enough. But uh, I was going to StarCraft, which is really the thing that got me into PC gaming because when I was a kid, I only used PCs for like. You know, looking at things up on the internet and uh, basically playing some educational games. I didn't know they actually made like full-fledged games on it until like I saw a friend play StarCraft. And that's kind of what, what got me into really just Blizzard stuff in general. So I kind of like the only reason I end up playing PC games at all is mostly because like well played Blizzard games and StarCraft was, was the catalyst for that. Um, I never really wanted a professional StarCraft player, but I was always fascinated with the esports scene because I always heard all these stories about how my friend was, one of my friends told me about this esports scene in Korea, which is where basically the esports was born with StarCraft. And there are television yeah. channels dedicated to StarCraft esports in in South Korea. Yeah, there's a there's a few of them. I think there's yeah, there's definitely like more than one. This this TV channel is dedicated to esports and South Korea just in general. I know it's a lot for Overwatch. There's some for League of Legends, just stuff like that in general. And but yeah, StarCraft was the thing that basically every single time I upgrade my computer, it's always to play the next Blizzard game. But the only the only one I haven't done yet is I haven't done it for Overwatch <laughs> because I up, last time I upgraded this PC was 2012 to play Diablo. Um. So that's well, that's it for StarCraft, but uh, one that would I got getting obsessed with is Total War. So, like, for whatever reason, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, sure for whatever reason, but I asked my parents for I think Age of Empires three for Christmas one year, and then they ended up giving me Total War instead, and I was <laughs> a little bit, I was being a little disappointed. Yeah, but that's a little I... disappointing, but at least it's not an obviously inferior ch- choice. I mean, I mean, Total War and Age of Empires three are both good, at least. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Rome Total War is still one of my favorite strategy games of all time. Right. So I'm, you know, the, I, I ended up winning there because I I like Rome Total War better than Age of Empires 3 when I, when I eventually did get it. <laughs> it's not so, like you asked for Transformers and got Transmorphers knockoffs instead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I've kind of fallen off Total War a little bit recently because I feel like these haven't matched up to Rome Total War or Medieval 2 Total War, which is my second favorite. They'll, they feel like a little bit... I, I don't know if it's weird. Maybe it's, it's a little bit too fast-paced. I kind of like watching the animations of the of all the armies fighting each other. For me, that was one of the big draws of Total War is how like, you could take like a lot of realistic things like this morale in the game where, you know, say... If uh, you get flanked, like like soldiers get flanked, they get scared, right? Because they're because their their sides are exposed. Or if you know you get shot by flaming arrows, that also cause morale drops. And uh, there's the, the, the the routing mechanic. There's the 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 armor value. So in case you get shot by missile units, you have that kind of thing. So for me, Total War is a, it's, I love the realism for Total War games. It's a little bit like I said, a little bit lesser now, but. For me, Total War just has a special spot in my heart for for being a big part of like my strategy uh, growing up. I never really got into Total War. They were always really impressive to me, but I uh, real time strategy would games would overwhelm me. I did have a phase where I played Warcraft Two, Starcraft, and Warcraft Three all back to back, and was quite uh, enjoyed each of them. Um, mm-hmm. Warcraft Two was maybe my favorite of the three, but like a little later on when my friends were playing uh, Total Annihilation or the Total War games or Supreme Commander, which is a game that still that still intimidates me to this game, to this day. Mm-hmm. But uh, like th- they're really really impressive, but there's so much macro and micro management in real time strategy games that. I haven't really gotten into one in a long time. I I, di- I didn't even play StarCraft two. Mm-hmm. Yes, the, those games are really like you need to focus on like every single little part of the ga- of the game in order for you to be good, and that's something that I end up really yeah. enjoying. So, because being able to micromanage like exactly like the units you need to make like made to counter what the enemy's doing, that's always something that really appealed to me. It's kind of like. I'm also like a bit of a history buff, and I love war history, so maybe that's part of what why the reason why I like strategy games so much. But I like to be of like being command of of, this, of these armies and yeah, there's like, a su- there's a surprising game. amount of uh, of education level in the Age of Empires games, and and maybe also to Total War, which I'm less experienced with. There's like mm-hmm. I like I learned about a bunch of different uh, Greek infantry and archery unit names playing <laughs> playing Age of Empires. <laughs> Even though I didn't yeah. get I didn't get super deep into Age of Empires, but like, again I did I have played some real time strategy. Yeah, Age of Empires and Civilizations were, uh, taught me a lot about uh, other other civilizations at the time. That's probably the reason why I ended up becoming like uh, a big history buff is because of Age of Empires and and um, Civilization. I like I have a I always have a soft spot for RTS games even though I'm not very good at them. Um, I like to because I like uh, military sci-fi and I like uh, you know fantasy battles and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I played a lot of um, Warcraft three, and I'm really excited for the remake of that one that's coming out. And uh, yeah. Right. yeah, Warcraft three reforged, I believe it's called. It looks pretty oh, sweet. Pretty um, I, I kind of wish it was Warcraft four though. Yeah, but I guess they already messed up the lore with World of Warcraft. But I do love um this is one game that I played a lot of um uh was Battle for Middle Earth um those games oh. which were it was a Lord of the Rings RTS game by EA back when they had the movie and book rights um eventually to Lord of the Rings and they don't have those rights anymore so those games haven't been re released in any capacity and they're basically lost to time. What was that EA uh, Lord of the Rings game that was basically a remake of Final Fantasy X? Third Age. Third Age. Ah yes, yeah. that game was some garbage, but it's kind of amazing garbage. <laughs> One of my roommates played that my freshman year of college, and I was mesmerized by it. And I'm like, "This is just like Final Fantasy X. They even they even line up the same way." Yeah. Okay. Third Age was um, awesome, just because you could play as the Balrog. 
True. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but for the same reason, um, Battle for Mid-Earth was awesome because the Balrog is basically a field nuke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I miss ba- uh, Battle for Mid-Earth, too. That was one of my favorite games, and for whatever reason, I decided to give it to my friend, and he's never given yeah. it back to me. So, yeah, I gave I gave away my copies years ago, and I kind of wish I didn't. Especially because I really want them to re-release them, because I think that'd be awesome in this day and age. It's just the rights, dude. Warner Brothers has the Lord of the Rings game rights right now, and I don't think the I think the film rights just straight up expired. Uh, and they're probably awesome. working on uh, the third. I, I guess would you call it Shadow game? Because oh, kill me. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> People like Shadow of Mordor, but don't, I'm still con- I'm still confused what Shadow what series Shadow of War is supposed to be in. Don't don't get right. me don't get me started. This is a really long rant that you're about to, <laughs> you're about to start. Okay, okay so <laughs> let's not back to real time strategy. Real time strategy, Nathan. Uh, um, what do you think was one of the good parts of uh? <laughs> you said that um, okay. you said that Total War <laughs> Medieval Two was another one of your favorites. What was good about that one? A Medieval Two Total War Medieval Two Total War was basically like taking a what they had in Rome Total War. Rome Total War was kind of the the big breaking point for the series. It was basically like this is where they figured it out. Like with, after two games, Rome Total War was kind of like everything kind of worked together. And then with Medieval Two, they added in extra animation. So say soldiers had individual animations when they kill things. So so say like you as a sword, he might go through a special animation where he knocks the guy down and then plunges the sword through him, or you know he, he'll just take. A spear unit will not will knock him down to jab the spear through the guy. It's, it's, that's a lot of fun just to watch the you know, the, the battles like that. And but uh, they added like a lot of me- different mechanics. So they added in like castles and towns. So so now you could recruit castles military and towns. Units. This this reminds me of Heroes of Might and Magic. Do continue. Yeah. yeah. So in towns you can only recruit like militia and basic like you know basic knights and basic archers. But with the castles you can recruit like your strongest military units. And the, so the castles would be strategically important, you know, to defend areas and to be able, be able to handle your armies. But the cities, the cities would be the ones that provide you the most population and the most money. So it's kind of like having these having nice balance was part of what made Medieval Two a lot of fun. Then if you played as say Medieval Two, say you play as a Christian faction, you also had to deal with the Pope. The Pope would give you assigned missions, and then if, if say if you attack more, more Christian factions, the Pope would get angry at you, and then maybe excommunicate you, which basically means everybody, every Christian could attack you without like a penalty. So it's kind of the, the nice balance in Medieval Two. Oh, this is this is a little off topic for a second, but I want I I I, I, re- I just had a question pop into my head that I wanted to present to Mike and to you, Nathan. Did either of you ever play Crusader Kings Two? I did not. I haven't. I've been thinking about it though. Okay, yeah, because that's that's not an RTS; it's a four X game. But um, my uh, room, one of my roommates in college was was obsessed with a Game of Thrones mod for Crusader Kings too, um, and would recount a whole bunch of crazy stuff that happened. Like, uh, oh, I somehow got Jamie Lannister um ex exiled into the Night's Watch or something like that, and it was uh, entertaining stuff. So I was just curious if anyone had played that one. Uh, like I was looking at Crusader Kings too. I think a couple months ago, and. It looks um, like incredible, but uh, I'm always it, it's yeah, it's odd because I'm a big stri- fan of strategy games, but I'll shy away if it's something that's like too crazy. So like, Crusader yeah. Kings Two is, is like one of those where it's like there's so many mechanics that you learn in Crusader Kings Two that yeah. I, I kind of like it's like uh, push me away a little bit. The fact that you're uh, that the kingdom in your 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 king or whatever can have a hereditary traits that get passed down, or they can go mad. Or so, like if you're playing this Game of Thrones mod that my friend my friend played, um, you'll end up with like 
if you're playing as the Targaryen faction, while well, the Targaryens in the in the world of Ice and Fire have a uh, inclination towards madness um, and incest, mm-hmm. so uh, shenanigans ensue. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, uh, my uh, the my my king just murdered all of his heirs and started worshiping the drowned god for some reason. I don't know what happened. <laughs> all right. Mm. Well, RTS games make for some funny stories, but the greatest multiplayer game in history is what we're going to discuss next. Oh boy. Peter, let's talk about some modern Pac-Man. Pac-Man Championship Edition 2. Um, honestly, so I picked up that game on a Lark during a PlayStation sale, and it was like one of the best purchases I ever made. That, that, hap- that exact thing happened to me for Championship Edition 1 on the PS3. Mm-hmm. And... Um, let's talk about it some more. I have directions I would like this conversation to go, but uh, okay. let's talk about what's great about Pac-Man Championship Edition 1 and 2. Like, I just I love the aesthetics of both games, like how it's like this crazy neon-inspired... It really fits that like 80s nostalgia you get for old arcade games and updates the experience while remaining true to it. You got all the old sound effects. They really pop. And it remixes the uh, classic Pac-Man gameplay in really interesting ways, because you're basically going through, instead of clearing one maze, moving on to the next one, you're constantly going through new mazes that get cycled, um, clearing um, preset paths of dots, trying to avoid ghosts, and then eventually catching long chains of ghosts once you get a power pellet to spawn. And And it's just so satisfying. And um, the pace of the game gets faster and faster every time you complete a segment. Yeah, and man. Wall, and, and, and walls will change and disappear. The, the stages will shrink or get larger. Uh, you have to work in momentum to a certain degree, at least because, like, if you tilt the stick just so, Pac-Man will start, like, drifting, basically, kind of like in a racing game. And you can make turns faster, which is a big thing in high-level play to try and squeeze out more points out of your time. Like, it is nuts trying to play this game, and but it's so fun. And there's also good multiplayer functionality, all kinds of crazy uh, options. You can change the way that Pac-Man or the stage or the pellets or the, even the sound effects work by uh, with a variety mm-hmm. of customization options. Um, there's uh, really detailed leaderboard systems and, and again, multiplayer for head-to-head stuff. They, like, mm-hmm. it, it sounds crazy, but when they tried to modernize Pac-Man, they didn't really change much of what made Pac-Man Pac-Man. But it was—it's all incredibly fun. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 anyone that owns uh, a system that can play it should have the appropriate version of Pac-Man Championship Edition on it. It is yeah, incredible. Sure. Two um, even adds some boss battles. Like you have uh, like, uh, 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 yeah, no, awesome. Championship Edition Two has boss battles against giant ghosts that will attack. Where you have to clear maps um, fast enough, or else they'll shake the screen and do damage to you. It's great. <laughs> oh my god! I need it on this. It, yes. Uh, uh, w- whatever, whatever system you have, get the most recent version of Pac-Man Championship Edition you can, because it is th- that random whim purchase that I did years ago on the PS3 was one of is one of the games that will like bring people to the TV if we're playing something other than like Jackbox or Rock Band or something. Yeah, I got, I got my mom to play it because she loves the original Pac-Man was like a game she remembers playing as a kid. And I'm like, oh, hey, I got, I got something for you here. <laughs> it gets faster the more you play it. Evolution. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it does the Tetris loop of it getting faster and more intense with every stage mm-hmm. you complete. And um, honestly, it's just as satisfying and addictive as Tetris is in a lot of ways. Yeah, it turns out Pac-Man is awesome in the early 80s and in the late 2010s. 
Yeah, it's honestly Alana. It's like it's one of the best games. Both games are like some of the best you can pick up for like cheap. It's great. But Peter, um, I, I don't know if you expected this turn from me because I, I think I have told you about this game before. There are mm-hmm. three. There are three excellent Pac-Man games of the two thousands that everyone should play, not just Championship Edition one and two. Okay. Hit me. Um, there is one of my favorite multiplayer experiences of all time. Uh, Pac-Man versus Pac-Man versus for the GameCube, which comes <laughs> as an extra, oh which comes as an extra in the uh, in this in the um, uh, shoot uh, the the Switch Namco Museum thing. Yeah, which yes, the cool yes. thing is you don't you don't have to own that game in order to download the Pac-Man versus thing. Pac-Man Correct. versus is a free download on Switch. Yeah, yeah, it's, I think it's also on PS4. But uh, there's a uh, if you get the Namco Museum pack. Pack, which is packaged with Pac-Man Championship Edition 2, it comes with Pac-Man Versus. But the uh, on the original version, uh, which you play as on a GameCube with three controllers and then one Game Boy Advance. And the person pl- with the Game Boy Advance can see the entire stage on their screen and plays Pac-Man and tries to get as many points as they can. And the other mm-hmm. players who have limited visibility looking at the big screen play ghosts trying to hunt down the Pac-Man. Yep, and it's and and the ghost that catches Pac-Man gets to be the Pac-Man in the next round. Yeah, Pac-Man versus is one of the best multiplayer games of all it's time. It's so good. It's right that had the that had the Miyamoto golden stamp of approval on it, and it shows. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Pac-Man Championship Edition one and two, and Pac-Man versus are three just absolutely A plus Pac-Man games that I I recommend to anyone who has ever enjoyed a video game. They are so much fun. Hmm. I also liked, um, this is a minor thing. I do, I like puzzle games in general too. This is a little off topic, but, uh, Pack Attack <laughs> was a pretty fun one. Um, oh, who I mentioned, don't, te- I don't think I mentioned that one. We mentioned Tetris earlier, it counts. But yeah, Pack Attack is kind of like Tetris or Puyo Puyo. I'm a little more like Puyo Puyo, um, where you're kind of trying to catch ghosts, only instead you're solving chains of puzzles. And, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's, uh, it's, it, it's pretty simple. It was included, I think the first time I played it was in a Game Boy Advance compilation of different Pac Man games. But uh, I got a lot of love out of that one, so it was fun. Yeah, Pac-Man Versus was packaged with uh, the Pac-Man World puzzle platformer game for the GameCube. I had I had Pac-Man World. I played that for a hot minute. Was like, nope. No, I, I have it too, but I, I have it because it came with Pac-Man Versus, not because Pac-Man World is any good. That game is terrible. Yeah. Uh, again, the PS2 was secretly better than the GameCube for platformers, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, Pac-Man Versus is an all-timer, and Championship Edition One and Two are incredible. Yeah, so go go play them. Play them now. Also, that Galaga that Galaga DX Championship Edition or whatever that was on PS3 is not bad either. Yeah, they're um, that's all right. Uh, oh shoot, I would I would recommend you get like the um one of the greatest games on PS3 over that. Galaga Championship Edition was trying to do the Pac-Man Championship Edition magic with Galaga, and it, it wasn't a total success. Uh, no, it was. It's not the greatest, but I thought it was all right, and yeah, it was like, it was on sale for ninety nine cents, so it was like well. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I can forget about 99 cents immediately after spending it, so... It's like, yep, okay, not, so instead of bad. getting a candy bar, I can play... Okay. You kidding me? A candy bar is a buck forty-nine. That's less than a candy bar. Uh, so, okay, now, if we're, if we're talking about the prices of candy, maybe it's time to change topics again. Uh, um, we each have one final one. I w- I'd like to spend a little bit less time on our final picks, because otherwise we will be here for three and a half hours. Uh... I'll I'll go first uh, to let you guys maybe prepare a little bit extra. Um, I like rhythm games a lot, but not. Uh, but I'm not really one of those people that gets real deep into them. Like I'm not uh, the, the kind of person that'll try and buy a pop and music machine or has put hundreds of hours into DDR. Uh, 
I played Rock Band and Guitar Hero mostly socially. I have some of the plastic instruments at my house in the basement now because I, because everyone was playing those for three or four years. But uh, the rhythm games that I love the most, the ones that that the ones that sort of make me call myself a rhythm fan, are the INIS ones from the 2000s. I'm talking about Guitaru Man, Elite, oh Be- Elite Beat Agents, and Ostadke Owendan. Because those four games, because there's an Owendan, a second Owendan game as well. Those four games are like the funniest and most and most like full of life rhythm games I have ever tried, and I. I love them so so much. Oh, oh my god! Like uh, elite beat agents, you have like three uh, rejects from the Blues Brothers, inspiring a nut salesman to go on a rampage, defeating uh, defeating smiling and kissing zombies to the tune of Survivor by Destiny's Child. Or or oh god, what's another crazy EBA stage? Oh no no, in Oendon two, the maybe the most ridiculous, one of the most ridiculous video game stages I've ever played in my entire life is. Uh, uh, there's a man and a woman on a date, okay? And early on, uh, you realize that the man is a werewolf, and he does not want to turn into a werewolf in front of this pretty girl that he likes. But whenever he sees something that looks like the moon, he start, starts to turn into a werewolf. So you're like, so you're, as the three Owendon cheer guys, are helping other people, like, you know, uh, like hide bright lights and, and, uh, and are trying to avoid this guy's self-sabotaging by turning into a werewolf. But at the very end, you can't help it, and he turns into a werewolf anyway, but the date thinks he looks cuter that way. Turns out she's a furry. <laughs> Good. It's not a ride. It, it, it was the most emotional roller coaster ride in, in <laughs> rhythm game history. I, I love the insane um, sense of humor that INIS had for those four games. Uh, guitar, God, like, I... I I could write an essay about the um, the uh, l- about the Latin guitar song in Guitar Man alone, uh, <laughs> but it, it is they're so funny and so crazy, and the gameplay of them is very frantic and very intense, and uh, and demands a pretty high level of skill by the end. They're, these are not easy games to beat on the higher difficulties. But like whenever I play a new rhythm game, like I've played the uh, first Persona Four Dancing All Night, I played one of the Hatsune Miku games that a friend of mine had. But they don't... like They're fun and intense, but don't hit the highs of Guitar Man or Elite Beat Agents for me. Cause, and that's what I want out of a rhythm game. A game that combines music gameplay with sort of intense puzzle-like mechanics and truly, truly unbelievable scenarios. And for some... Only those four INIS games hit, uh, hit that mark for me. And I just wish there were more games like it. Rhythm Heaven is almost there, but doesn't quite hit the highs of um, fighting a giant reggae mecha robot in Mar- on planet Mars in Guitar Man. No, nothing can. Have, have any of you guys played those? Uh, either Elite Beat Agents, Oendon, or Guitar Man? No, I haven't. I've always wanted to play Elite Beat Agents oh. because I've heard so many crazy... I think we got it a year or two late, basically. We got it a year after you did. I think Elite Beat Agents is a top three DS game for me. I I well, love that thing. Well, there you go, then. I guess I'll pick it up. And somehow there there's, like, in the middle of all these crazy stages, there's one that is so sad it makes me weep openly. <laughs> uh, um, uh, both both the Wendon games and Elite Beat Agents all, each have a sad stage hidden among the crazy stages, and the Elite Beat Agents one is brutal. Uh, oh. uh, I mean, Christmas was a few weeks ago uh, at the time of this posting, but um, the, it's, it's about a girl who's... Uh, who want who wants her her uh, deceased father to come back from Christmas, uh, to f- to come back for Christmas? Uh, while um, you're the inspiration by Chicago plays. 
it's it's a it's a wow. it's a surprise of a tearjerker in the middle of a crazy ass game. But uh, yeah, I, I will defend those four games forever. Um, I imported both of the Oendon games because I liked Elite Beat Agents so much, and Guitar Man and Elite Beat Agents are both among the best of the PS2 and DS libraries for me. <laughs> there is a, a a PSP remaster of Guitar Man that I have not played but heard was good enough, which is, you know, good enough. I think about getting a Wendon, but uh, I don't know. I, I, for whatever reason, I thought it might have gotten released here, but I guess not. I, don't, I guess that explains why I'm having all the fun. Oh, too. yeah, no. Wendon 1 and 2 are incredibly Japanese. Um... Uh, I mean, I, I don't. I don't think there really is an equivalent of a male cheer squad in uh, most of North of, in most of Western civilization. But the uh, yeah, um, Elite Beat Agents was released in English. Wendon One and Two were uh, stuck straight in Japan, but they're all good. And the final song in Wendon One is one of the theme songs to uh, Full Metal Alchemist for you anime fans out there. Uh, uh, ready, ready, steady, go. Oh, really? And the, yeah, and the final song in Elite Beat Agents is. Uh, that Rolling Stones song, uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash, is the last song in uh, Elite Beat Agents. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, there's, an, there's an alien invasion, and you have to try and convince the aliens with the power of music to, to dance with you instead of oppress you, and you use Jumpin' Jack Flash. Fair. I guess. Those games are wild, and um, if you can get, find a, a good way to play any of them, I, I recommend it. So, alright, I got to pop off on my weird rhythm game uh, fandom for a minute. Uh, Alana, what is the your third genre or game or series? So, a game. Um, I tend to try and play once a year at least one game in a series I've never played before. So, 2017 was East. 2018 was Metroid. Um, and I picked the obvious best top tier choice, which is fantastic. Super Metroid, um, on my SNES Classic. Uh, I have tried to play Super Metroid a few times, and the original Metroid, and never got into either of them, and I'm not really sure why, so I thought I would just give it another go, because Super Metroid is only, like, six hours if you really... Like, seven hours if you want to get everything. Um, uh... Quick aside, I don't think the original Metroid is great. Like, it, no. <laughs> it's probably it's probably not even a top in the top five of its own series, but, but Super Metroid is excellent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the issue with the original Metroid is that there's no map, so you have to map it out yourself, which is okay, but like when you've got Super Metroid, which is like mapping everything out for you, then it's perfect. Um, but like, yeah, the real Super Metroid is really strange in that it started off good, but then like, it's probably one of the only games I've ever played that my opinion has it of it has consistent consistently increased. Like, I don't think I've had as much fun with a non-Metroid. Like, I, I people who listen to retro and see me on Twitter know that I'm a big fan of Castlevania, Metroidvanias, things like that. Um, Super Metroid is pretty much the originator of that, I would say, because it's the first one that has the map system. You can backtrack; it's really easy to do, and things like that. And there's some kind of evolving narrative going on around it while you just kill all of these space pirates. Um, but like Super Metroid, just absolutely nails atmosphere and i think that is what i loved about it so much it nails progression and it nails atmosphere so zebes is incredibly detailed it has four or five distinct areas obviously uh there's got there's norfair and uh, what's the other one called the brinstar which is the two really famous ones which smash has made really famous um but like every area is completely different and the visually and audio audio visually i should say um everything is really captured perfectly in the game and 
it does a really good job of making you feel isolated on a planet. And this is a game from 1994, I want to say. It was like mid to end life Super Nintendo game. And it's just really great. And the nice thing about Super Metroid is that you start to learn things. So because you've got the map, you kind of remember where you've been and you can see where you can go back to and you kind of automatically clock where you need power up. So there's one section of the game where you need to get the running power up and you'll remember it really well for some reason. It's just a really clever way about how Super Metroid and later Metroidvanias are designed. But like, I, 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 it just really grabbed me. Like I was surprised. I think most people were surprised I'd never played it or beaten it before anyway. Um, but like, I was super surprised by like how taken I was by Super Metroid and would probably call it one of my favorite games I played last year, potentially ever just because it got better and better and better i think oh did, did the, you put it on your uh um 2018 games of the year list i didn't because uh, i'd already got like seven or eight entries on there it was a busy <laughs> year um i reserved that spot for another rpg um that we played uh my but, mind um, was dense too and might have been include the same rpg on it i haven't checked the list in a while <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I think my favorite, just because it gets so much better as you go along, like the more power-ups you get, you learn more things. There are better ways to kill enemies. You genuinely feel the progression. A bit like Mega Man, I guess. Like you genuinely feel Samus getting better and better and better and you getting better and better. And most of the boss fights are pretty good as well. And there's Oh some, god, yeah. I, I wanted, yeah. this is what I wanted to bring up. The Ridley boss fight in Super Metroid is one of the best in in the Super Nintendo period. Mm-hmm. The Holy the one crap. the one at the end, yeah, yeah. Or near the end, yeah. You know, it's incredible. They're all really good because, well, I mean, Super Metroid has got some good enemy sprites, and we know how much we love enemy sprites over here. Um, but uh, oh yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, but Craid obviously takes up like three screens, which is really good. Uh, there's Crocmire who uh, all their skin burns off in the lava, and then it collapses on you as a pile of bones, which is really really creepy um but yeah the design of the game is really incredible and i just think that i don't know it's just great um but the kind of end cycle of like the ending of super metroid which i mean i guess it's not a spoiler because this game's like 20 24 years old nearly 25 years old um Hmm. uh the end boss of super metroid is my favorite final boss ever like the build-up to it is incredible um it's the, it starts off exactly the same as the original Metroid, so it's Mother Brain in a glass case um, in liquid and whatever, and it's firing things at you, and you have to break the glass. And then it falls down and collapses, and then you're like, okay, I'm done. And then obviously Super, um, the Mother Brain comes up with this big Tyrannosaurus Rex body, dripping with flesh, dripping with, like, it's just drooling everywhere, and it's firing lasers at you. And then the baby Metroid that you save at the end of the original Metroid and the beginning of Super Metroid comes to save you by sucking its life force out and giving you the Super Metroid's power, Super, Super Mother Brain's power, um, and then you absolutely go to town with it with this multicolored rainbow laser and escape from Planet Zebeth, and that is the end of Super Metroid, which just ends on the biggest high note ever. Um, but I recommend, if you've never played it, I think everyone should give it a go. It's like the combination between platforming, collecting, exploration, atmosphere, and it just... It's it's it, like it, it deserves to be called one of the Super Nintendo's best games, one of the best games I've ever played. Really, it was really really incredible. We don't cover Metroid and RPG fan, which is a little weird because we do cover the, uh, you know, the non-linear Metroidvania Castlevania games uh, enthusiastically even. 
But I, I guess even though Metro, uh, Metroid isn't RPG enough, exactly. Because I guess because there's no levels and no damage numbers. But I mean, Super Metroid is it's so excellent. Um, y- you can tell it's influenced by the Ridley Scott AO Alien movies. Um, <laughs> uh, because of the atmosphere and how, uh, and because of so many of the alien designs are like a very specific form of grotesque, but, and, and like the way you're describing the, the mo- final part of the mother brain fight is kind of like the alien queen, like, uh, yeah, like, 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 like drooling over Sigourney Weaver's character. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's real good. Like, if you have an interest in sort of action shooty platformers, which I do, as we've established earlier, uh, Super Metroid is the one Metroid game to play. Uh, I, I think it's probably the best one. I really like Metroid Fusion for the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, it's next uh, on my list. <laughs> but it's really good. But, uh, but Super Metroid absolutely holds up. I haven't played it in many, many years. Um, but I do own a SNES Classic, so maybe a maybe a replay is warranted. Yeah, like six hours is nothing. So. I have not played Super Metroid. <laughs> and neither have I. That's fair. I mean, no. like, you know. Um, I, thought, well, I think the game is older than Nathan is, isn't it? Uh, I mean, maybe. When it come out? I can't remember. I think it's, hang on. It's 94. 94, so no, it isn't. No, not, not yet. Almost. That, was, that was a wee embryo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit younger than me. It came out after... No, it came out just after Final Fantasy VI in America. Like, two weeks. That was a good month. <laughs> just to, um, just to uh, you know, um, despair in how old I am, I am uh, two months older than Dragon Quest. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I am as old as Secret of Mana in America. So All there right. you go. To the day. Uh, so, Super Metroid... Um, about the same age as a few of our panelists, but uh, <laughs> but but uh, definitely a oh, classic worth it. playing. Um, <laughs> Peter, what's your uh, third bonus game you wanted to discuss? Okay, so um, I I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curve a, a bit of a curveball out here, and um, we're gonna talk about Yu Gi Oh because I really like Yu Gi Oh. I don't know if you guys know this about you'll me. Move, <laughs> you'll, no, move, no, no. you'll move. You'll move. You'll move. It's time to do the duel. Um. Uh, no, I I have a lot of nostalgia for the original Yu-Gi-Oh series. I grew up uh, watching that show and playing the card game with my friends, and um, I kept up with it for a while. Um, I was I was into I was a little bit into the competitive card game scene for a little bit um, up until um, the fifth anime series Arc Five came out because uh, that brought Pendulum monsters into the game, which are monsters that are also spell cards and. Yeah, it it uh, it kind of broke me a little bit, and I haven't really been keeping up lately. There's another new monster type that made things even more complicated, and I just can't keep up. But um, I do love the original series a lot, and there are there's two games, one mobile app and one console game. I want to talk about. There's gonna be I'm gonna make them really quick hits that are really good examples. I think of you interesting Yu Gi Oh games because there's a there's 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 more Yu Gi Oh games than like I can name. Like there's tons. There's most of them are card game simulators with varying degrees of success um, at emulating the CCG. But um, did any of you he- play or hear of um, Duelist of the Roses for PlayStation 2? Is it the one so, with the 3D, the 3D battles? Like battle yeah, so it has Okay, so that was the one. Okay, and I played a lot of them. Yeah, so well, I feel of, silly now. Duelist of the Roses <laughs> is um, a Yu-Gi-Oh game where you players... 
move they they play cards against each other but it's instead of just playing the card game you move your cards on a seven by seven grid um and it's kind of like a mini strategy rpg you play your monsters Mm -hmm. face down so your opponent doesn't know what they're getting into until they move to attack your card and then a battle takes place i'm gonna play this card face down Exactly, exactly. Um, but then, like, there's stuff like terrain cards. Um, car- monsters will have different abilities based on uh, what type of environment they're in. Like, like mm-hmm. sea serpents and fish monsters will be better in water. Stuff like that. Um, they can be monsters will level up. They gain. They have a hidden experience stat that causes them to be promoted and gain more power. Um, it, the game is super grindy and it can be really hard. Um, a big problem with a lot of these Yu-Gi-Oh, Yu-Gi-Oh console games was that um, grinding to get the best cards is yeah. really not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get to that. Um, but really the best thing about Duelist of the Roses was the story because the story is bonkers. It is, yeah, <laughs> it is an alternate history retelling of the War of the Roses with Yami Yugi as Henry Tudor. Uh you make it up? Nope. Oh, okay. No, no, I'm not making that up. It's like to... fanfiction.net got hold of the PS2 disc and were like, okay, let's go with this. So yeah, it has Yami Yugi as Henry Tudor, Taya Gardner as Elizabeth of York, Tristan I Taylor have... as Thomas Gray, My Joey Valentine, Wheeler. and so on. Joey Wheeler as Christopher Urswick. <laughs> and so this I'm this upset. game is amazing. I'm upset. I don't understand how I feel this way. Kaiba is Rosencruz, and on the on the Yorkist side. Uh, wow, <laughs> I was not I expecting actually... this. I was not expecting that allegory in a Yu-Gi-Oh game at all. It is they they really went ham with that license for a while, and it, it emerged in some really fabulous ways. But the other game, the other game I wanted to talk about this, and this is a much much more recent thing, um, is the mobile app uh, Yu-Gi-Oh Duel Links, which um has kind of become my new obsession lately because what it is, is it's basically, it's a mobile version of the Yu-Gi-Oh card game. It's a little simplified. You have, you only have 4,000 life points, like in the show, instead of the 8,000 you get in the real game. Um, Your deck size is limited to 20 to 30 instead of 40 to 60. Um, And you have a little bit more of a limited card pool, although it's, it's actually a pretty interesting selection of cards they're constantly updating it and supporting it adding new cards they just added 5ds Yu-Gi-Oh! 5ds characters and their monsters which are really cool um and duelings is really fun they um because you basically you unlock new Yu-Gi-Oh! characters to play as and those characters have skills that they can use to adapt to change the game so like yami yugi has skills that can increase the power of spellcaster type monsters or kaiba has a skill that can make his monsters more powerful for one turn um while he's attacking um stuff like that that's very in character but you can it but it kind of throws how you build your your deck onto its head because you are now building your car your deck in the sense of well these cards work well together and um, this is the strategy I'm going for, but also you have to take your character skill into account. So yeah, it, it's not just card synergy and environment synergy; it's also character synergy. Exactly, and um, there's a very avid PvP community for Duel Links. Um, there's actually um, 
to the point that it's actually now the uh, the new uh, second tier of the world championships um, for the Yu-Gi-Oh card game. Um, there's a real life ver- <laughs> car- tournament and a Duel Links tournament that goes every year, um, and they they're constantly doing new events doing free giveaways it's kind of a gotcha game in the sense that you are going to be collecting a lot of in-game currency to buy digital trading card packs um but you can spend real money if you want to but honestly i've never i have played that game for probably close to 400 hours at this point um and yeah my steam my steam library will betray me um um and uh i don't think i've ever felt pressured to buy card packs because the sense of you're constantly getting currency for leveling up your characters, for logging in every day, for participating in the events that go on, for playing in PvP. There's a lot of this is constantly giving you stuff. Um, so yeah, Duel Links is a lot of fun. And if you're a Yu-Gi-Oh fan, even a lapsed Yu-Gi-Oh fan like me, kind of, um, it's a free mobile app that can is a lot of fun and can give you a fun card game experience on the go. Awesome. So, Peter, I think we're all glad that we gave you a chance to talk about Yu-Gi-Oh on a podcast in, in an official capacity, and not, and not and not as a side conversation. So, congratulations I, I to, to everyone you. here. I need to get that out of my system. <laughs> so, uh, um, we have one last topic before we can shut the door on the podcast. Nathan, what is your third topic of your non-RPG favorite? All right, so we've kind of gone over it, and mine is Sims. So we've, just sim, sim games in general, like simulation as a genre. So what, one of the things that really got me into simulation games was Harvest Moon, which I know we kind of cover on the side. Like, I, 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 it's, I, I don't think Harvest Moon is really an, an RPG, but I think there's like enough crossover audience between Harvest Moon and RPGs that we cover it a little bit. Um, I'm not sure what the last Harvest Moon or Story of Seasons review we had was. Did we review a Story of Seasons game, Milana? The last two years we have, yeah. Okay. Um, it's more of the relationship stuff, even though you can do some rela- have relationships in The Sims and that there's a lot of relationship building and there is ways of leveling up things in Harvest Moon that makes it more in our coverage in inverted commas. I, I feel like I shouldn't say that because I'm like the gatekeeper of coverage, but to be honest, I'm just like, <laughs> whatever. So games where you're basically in control of an area or anything like that and basically being in control of it. So one of the things that got me into it was Tropico. I started with Tropico 3 on 360. Oh like, yeah, that, that, that's when you, wow. you're you a dictator of a banana republic, right? Yeah. It's really, <laughs> it's really ridiculous. Like, they have, like, the most, like, all of your visors are just, like, crazy, and they'll give you, like, they'll tell you, like, oh yeah, the, I can't believe I discovered this thing by, like, I can't believe shovels were, were this thing we could use to dig for, to dig for, for ores. Who knew? I thought they were just for starting communist revolutions. Being in control of like this little island and being able to build up like you know you gotta start with your you gotta build up your agricultural economy then you gotta start with you know your industrial industrial age they gotta go up to like you know like modern age where you have to deal with banking and you know tourists and stuff like that so building up like that is like something that they just being able to build up in an area is what really drives me for sim games. Yeah, no, that's it's interesting stuff. Um, I haven't really gotten into a lot of uh. Man- management type games. Although I am really interested in playing Stardew Valley because I've heard really, uh, really lovely things about it, and the game looks delightful. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. That's something that's on my to do list to play for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Same here. I keep forgetting to give, like grab a copy of Stardew Valley because I know I'll probably fall in love with it. But mm-hmm. part of the thing, part of the thing with me is like 
once I discovered Rune Factory, I haven't gone back to Harvest Moon for a little while. So yeah, because for me, Rune Factory is more hit scratch than my RPG itch, right? With when it comes to like you have dungeon exploring and, and you also have the stuff you do in Harvest Moon. So I feel like it's just it appeals to me yeah, a lot. No, I no, I hear you. Um, yeah, Rune Factory was awesome. Um, never really quite quite stuck with me, but it's something I want to give. I want to go back to and try out again. I know yeah. that uh, I know that Marcos is a big fan of a couple of the 3DS Rune Factory games. He's even um, sh- um showed off some of their music on retro- on a uh, Rhythm Encounter in, in the past. Shoot, I-, I guess they're more focused on Story of Seasons and and maybe or because oh, I'm still not sure. Story of Seasons is the Japanese Harvest Moon. The yeah. current the current Harvest well, Moon is not original Harvest Moon, right? Yeah, correct. Right. So, okay. Well, I think yeah, I think the way it goes is. Uh, XC does Story of Seasons, and then Natsume does Harvest Moon. But they're both the same series. Like they're both, um, uh, I forget the Japanese name, but they're both the same games. Like they're not any different. This is Harvest Moon, just with two different names in English because two different license holders have it. Really? I thought I thought that the original um, what, what is it, Farm Monogatari or something? Uh, I, I thought uh, that. I'm, I'm pretty I, sure I thought... stories like Harvest Moon, Story of Seasons are pretty. They're both like. "Quote unquote Harvest Moon." They're both like the same Japanese series. No, I think I think I think I remember hearing there was a rights dispute that led to Natsume owns the trademark to the Harvest Moon name in America. So yeah. when so that led to them basically going off and being like, "Well, screw you, we're going to make our own games with this brand we have because it's a big name for them." Whereas the uh, original series now had to come up with a new name, hence Story of Seasons. And yeah, um, and the the Japanese title for Harvest Moon was Bokujo Monogatari, which is basically farm story. The current Bokujo Monogatari is called Story of Seasons, while the Natsume Harvest Moon is a different a different series. Okay. So yeah, but, but Alana's right. The solution is to play Stardew Valley or maybe Story of Seasons because I heard that was good, right? They're they're pretty good. Yeah, I haven't or, played. Uh, I haven't pu- played the Popolacroes one. Oh, oh god. Popula- oh, right. yes. Popula- <laughs> How do you Popula- pronounce Popula- that word? Popula- Popula- yeah. yeah. So it's like the sparkling water? G- kind of. Well, C-R-O- <laughs> C- the R-O-I is hua, and um, an S or an X is silent in the end of a French word. So simulation games, which may or may not involve farming, or, you know, going back to Alana's original uh, proposition, you know, locking celebrities into a room and watching them slowly die... <laughs> <laughs> Do not end this making me sound like a sadist, because I'm definitely very nice. I, I will end this with one last uh, final question. Um, of all of the games and series you've discussed now, pick one single game that you would recommend to uh, a, 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 to someone who's never played any of the games you've discussed. So, for, using me as an example, if I was talking to someone who likes video games, but has never played a 4X or Mega Man, or Ratchet and Clank, or an Innis game, what is the one game from that set I would recommend to them? Um, so uh, while you think of that, I'll go first again. Uh, I think I would recommend that they try Mega Man X for the Super Nintendo. Because I, it is one of my all-time favorite games. It is the It has the new complexities of Mega Man X that are... You know that I consider evolutions of the Mega Man formula before it, Mega Man X got crazy, crazy complicated around the X4, around the X5 period. So uh, I, I think Mega Man X is a timeless platformer with great weapons and fun shooting, and I would recommend that game to anyone. Um, does anyone else have their final recommendation before we start the housekeeping on this episode? 
I mean, if you want to play a really bizarre card strategy battle game that makes absolutely no <laughs> sense, but sold a lot of copies because people really liked that early PS2 3D, then definitely play Yu-Gi-Oh! Duelist of the Roses. But Mario Kart 8 <laughs> is the real answer. Okay. <laughs> so we have Mega Man X and Mario Kart 8, uh, or perhaps Mario Kart 8 DX, if you have a Switch instead of a, if a Wii U. Um, uh, Nathan or Alana, what, what's your recommendations? Uh, for me, it would be Rome Total War. If you have never played any of the Total War games, that's the one I recommend. Plus, uh, oh, one thing I forgot to mention when I was talking about Rome Total War is that music is absolutely incredible. If you haven't listened to Rome Total War's music, you got to listen to it. Hmm, who, do you know who composed it? Oh, I can't remember the name, because I think they left after Medieval 2, and I can't remember the name of the person. I'll, I'll pull it up one second. Jeff Van Dyke. Okay, got it. Interesting. I've not heard of this guy. Several Total War games, plus uh, Tiger Woods PGA Tour 2004. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is a varied career. Yeah, this, this, this guy's been around, but... Um, but uh, but uh, cool. I, I might have to check out some. I'm always curious about video game music that I haven't been exposed to before. So I'll maybe I'll look up a Total War soundtrack later on tonight. Or, uh, so Alana, yeah. what's your final recommendation from your set of games we discussed today? Um, so I'm not going to pick any of the obvious ones like Super Metroid. Uh, I'm going to pick one that I dropped into a conversation. Everyone should play Rayman Legends, especially for the Eye of the Tiger level with the mariachi band as you're running across the snakes. Please play it for the music levels. The Thank five you. music levels in that game are amazing. They're so good. Like, so good. Like, I can never just, hear Black just, Betty the same way ever again. Yeah, like, it's, it's always it's, uh, in the Rayman version. It, yeah, it's, it's Black Betty, then a Mozart minuet, then Eye of the Tiger, then, uh, then, um, Woohoo by the five, six, seven, eights, <laughs> and then a, uh, and then a, like, European metal song that I wasn't aware of for the, for the, the castle level. You know which one I mean? I know. Uh, you yeah. mean the Olympic, uh, the Greek level, or are you thinking of Origin? No, no, no. Well, um, there's six music levels. Though, no, no, there's... no. Well, it, it, I guess it is Olympic, but it looks like a big castle full of dragons. But it, it is more like oh, Olymp- it, it, is, it is more like Greco-Roman columns. You're right. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, even if you don't play them, watch YouTube videos of Rayman Legends music stages because they are the best. They are so yeah. cool. They're incredible. So, that's a, been a lot of non-RPG discussion, um, almost two hours. We're, uh, we're probably, I, I may have to cut some of this out. We'll see how far I get. Uh, next week, we have our second Kingdom Hearts episode where we get uh, P- uh, um, Peter, Alana, you, you two and I c- come to uh, you know, a thrilling conclusion on this series, which I have some regrets of diving <laughs> back into. In <laughs> um, the following week, uh, I, I have to check and see if we're ready to schedule this yet. Um, I wanted to do a Virtue's Last Reward episode, but I'm, I don't know if we'll be prepared in time. So probably Virtue's Last Reward after Kingdom Hearts, but we're not 100% certain on that. And in February, uh, we're have some Tales games to discuss. We're going to be playing two episodes of Tales of Vesperia, for the, uh, which had a recent port, which I'm sure is how all of us are going to be playing it. Right, Alana? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, two episodes of Tales of Asperia, one episode about Tales games in general. Uh, Peter, you were on a Battle Systems episode with me in December, and we're doing the sequel to to that episode next month. Oh, wow, okay, yeah, exciting. Oh, my, I... I, We haven't haven't scheduled it yet, so maybe this is the... Maybe it's been a while since I've brought this up with you. This is is, is starting to ring a bell now. (laughs) You're on an episode. You don't know about it. Don't worry. I I remember who was on every episode, so I'll... I'll, uh, I can pick up the slack from you. I don't don't even... I don't remember half of the episodes I was on, and then someone's like, oh, yeah, I remember doing this, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and with me, someone will say, "We'll be like, oh, you should, uh, 
you should play Shadow Hearts Covenant for this episode. I'm like, nah, we did Shadow Hearts Covenant in January, February of 2017. And then I'll get a funny look. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I just... Will, but, I but, but from the new world, when? I know, right? Well, let's Maybe see. I, should... I do... I am the only human on RPG fan who loves Frank the Ninja. You are! Oh my god. He, I, think, I think he is hilarious, and everyone else rolls their eyes when Frank the Ninja ever comes up. He's kind of hilarious, and also... Well, yeah, that's a discussion for us. Yeah, yeah, that's a discussion for another time. That uh, I'm not, I am not confirming uh, from the Shadow Hearts from the New World episode. Maybe one day, but uh, not anytime soon, because we have uh, January and February planned out. But uh, listeners, if you want to contact us, the best way to do so is email retro at rpgfan.com. You can also comment on RPG fans' boards, visit the Facebook page, visit the Twitter page, visit the Instagram page, go onto our Discord page. We have stuff streaming on Twitch every single day, and you can find links to all of those things on rpgfan.com's front page. We also have two other fine podcasts, Random Encounter and Rhythm Encounter, about current events and RPG music, respectively. And uh, we would appreciate it very much if you were to drop a review on iTunes or Google Play or however you're listening to us. We love all the feedback that is directed to us and read everything that is directed to us. So, I guess we already did some of our social media at the top of the episode. Which I wasn't really expecting, but let's repeat that for the uh, for listeners' benefits. Starting with you, Alana. Uh, so I'm on Discord as Diving Falcons, or the best place probably to get me is on Twitter uh, at Alana Hagues. And Peter, your turn. Uh, Twitter's best place to get a hold of me at I Have Fury. Um, you can also reach me Peter T at RPGFan.com, or like I mentioned at the start of the episode, you can just go to the boards that are a wasteland of nothingness. <laughs> uh, Nathan, how can listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SmashKing27, or I'm on our Discord, and I'm just SmashKing. And listeners, if you want to find me, I am Monsoon Mike on Discord, at the Real Monsoon on Twitter most of the time, and at Evoker for Dogs on Twitter other times. Uh, but that's about enough. I, I think I want to go and, you know, go into my SNES Classic and play either Super Metroid or Mega Man X. It's, it's a, it's a toss-up, really. <laughs> Thank you, good night, and good luck. <laughs>